Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It's Adam Spinella in the building. We're going to dive deep into the 2023 NBA draft class by doing our first, the first ever Adam Spinella 2023 NBA mock draft on the Game Theory podcast feed. Spins, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Sam. Uh, All's good here, man. Like I was preparing a few days ago to be so exhausted from the last week of NBA news and like all that has gone on and transpired in the league. But we're a day away from college basketball. We get to talk mock draft and, and actually dive into the prospects and make this a fun episode. So I'm like rejuvenated and ready to go. This is, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel a bit better about just having like, like took like a Sam, I think your uh, your audio disconnected there again. Keep hitting that mute button. Still off, Sam. There, there he is. We're back. There he is. The stupid mute there button on the Yeti, man. It's killing me. Uh, I feel a little bit better about basketball. The last half of last week was a little bit rough uh, across the NBA, and it made me feel a little bit icky about covering the league. Uh, another thing that made me feel a bit icky, the chicken man of Philadelphia. I just want to shout out to the chicken man of Philadelphia. There is a man in Philadelphia who ate a rotisserie chicken, an entire rotisserie chicken, every day for 40 days. Every day for 40 days, this man ate a full rotisserie chicken. And he had like a 500-person party uh on as he described it it looks like like the pier next to the walmart or something like that uh like just random random spot in philly shout out to the chicken man of philadelphia that's where we're at here is there a food that you could eat 40 days consecutively that is the full size of a rotisserie chicken oh Probably the answer to that is no. Like I, I, I can, <laughs> I, I can have steak like nobody's business, but I think forty days would wear me down of it a little bit. Like pizza is probably the best thing I could say. I could probably have close to a full pizza every day for forty days, but that's just that's true dedication to your craft, Sam. 
<laughs> As Luke Brom says in the comments, it was not a party. They were very clear to note that it was not a party for the 40th consecutive day of a rotisserie chicken. Uh, but it ended up being like a 500 person get together. Let's call it. Um, sure. Yeah. Can you imagine eating a rotisserie chicken sized steak for 40 days in a row? I mean, that would be that would literally potentially kill you, I feel like. I I don't think I can handle it as a guy who's you know five eleven one sixty five like that's that's <laughs> gonna do me in for a long period of time having that much meat every single day holy moly nah can't do it uh, okay so the way that the mock draft pods work on the game theory podcast as Adam is well aware we go back and forth we dive deep into prospects one through thirty one of us gets the first pick the next one gets the second pick. The other one gets the third pick, et cetera. The way that we flip for this is we flip the Chihuahua coaster here. The Chihuahua is heads, the backside is tails. Uh, this is an honor system thing here where Adam's going to have to understand that I'm not going to screw him when I flip the Chihuahua coaster. Um, the way that this works, no teams at this point, but... Right. It's essentially back and forth with us drafting prospects one through 30. And this is going to look dumb in a month probably, but it's a fun process and it's a good way to dive into <laughs> prospects. This is the eve of college basketball season as well. So it's a really good opportunity for us to dive into a lot of different prospects that we'll be talking about throughout the college basketball season as well. So please come join us. Have a good time. If you ask some questions in the comments, we will absolutely get to them at some point. Yep. Um, but we're going to flip the Chihuahua coaster and get moving here. All right. It Please is. I need picture. you to call it. Oh, you need me to call it. Um, yeah. Tails, tails never fail. So I'm going to go tails. Yeah. Tails it is. Oh, do you want first or second life. overall? I would love the first overall pick, please, Sam. Okay. So you get the first overall pick. Here we go. Adam Spinella, you're up. Number one overall pick. I have been stressing over the coin flip and not the decision, or I guess the coaster flip in this case. Uh, This is a very easy one for me. Number one overall pick, taking Victor Wembenyama from France, formerly of Moron Mountain and the Monstars. Because this guy is an alien. He's he's an absolute freak. Seven foot four in shoes, about an eight foot wingspan. Incredibly, incredibly skilled offensive player who is starting to push the boundaries and explore the space of isolation scoring in high volume. He tore up the G League Ignite when coming over to two games earlier in October and was clearly just a an ultra confident type of offensive player. Yeah. Eight-foot wingspan, high-level defensive ceiling, can protect the rim and block a million shots. He alters the way that everybody attacking the basket kind of plays their offensive game. You can tell that he's in everybody's head. He's able to switch on to the perimeter. He had this one play about a week ago, Sam, where he started with one foot in the charge circle and on a kick out from the post to the opposite wing, sprinted, turned, and stuffed a catch-and-shoot three-point attempt. <laughs> His ground coverage is insane. Like it's what this guy can do defensively is nothing like we've ever seen before from a teenager. So 
you combine that with the fact that he's so comfortable and confident shooting the ball from three, taking shimmy dream fadeaways from both baseline corner over his shoulder. He can, you know, pick up his dribble at the free throw line and get to the basket, slam everything home, be a great pick and roll threat and lob threat, runs the floor in transition, rebound and run. He does a little bit of everything on the offensive end. I'm just, I'm so excited to see what he looks like two or three years from now. Um, this is a home run pick for me. Like I am ready to retire as a general manager, go one for one. <laughs> we got Victor Weminyama. I'm happy as hell. Yeah, Vic is the clear option at number one overall. I, I don't really see any argument against it as long as the health checks come back clear. Uh, he will go number one overall. It, it's just like even the innovation. Like he, he took like a one-footed like pull-up three-pointer earlier this weekend and it was just like what are we doing here how is this possible um this person is seven foot four with an incredibly high release point that is impossible to block it's just he's he's unlike anything that we've seen in a real way there's just no other way uh to describe him and he will be the number one overall pick as long as the health checks come back clear and i don't know that we need to belabor it uh okay Let's go to the number two overall pick. I'm going to take Scoot Henderson at number two overall. I think Scoot is the, I don't don't know if he's the best guard prospect I've seen uh, in a long time, but he is certainly among them. His pull-up shooting has really improved, it seems like, to the point where it's just a genuine threat, especially from the pull-up range. Um, Whereas John Morant is going to take like a variety of floaters from the pull-up range, he's going to get to his spots in the mid-range and just pull up as a jump shooter uh, at a pretty high level. I think this was a skill that kind of went underrated of his throughout the offseason. He's actually a really good pull-up shooter from the mid-range, and it gives you every inclination that he's going to be able to extend that out to three moving forward, even if the three-point numbers were not elite coming into this season. Uh, He had 25 points in their opener as well. I think he had 25 and seven assists, if I remember correctly. Um, Just looked every bit the part of a star, looked every bit the part of someone that should be in the NBA right now that's currently playing in the G League. Uh, Really high-level passer. I think the passing has also gone a little bit underrated throughout the course of this offseason. He's like a genuinely high-level playmaker that can hit I think every pass in the book, he hits the cross-corner kickouts, he hits the pocket passes, he hits lobs. Everything that you're looking for in terms of a difficult high-read pass, he can do that. Um, look, he's six foot two. He probably isn't going to be the highest-level impact defender. But at the end of the day, I do see Scoot Henderson as a 25-point, seven-assists-plus-per-game guy in the NBA that, on top of all of the skill level I just talked about, is just an incredibly high-level athlete that – I believe in to be able uh, to consistently get separation at the point of attack, pressure defenders at a high level, get two feet in the paint and cause all sorts of difficult scramble rotations for opposing teams. Spins Scoot Henderson at number two. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, really good pick. Uh, I think the obvious choice here, once Victor is off the board, the thing that stood out to me most about Scoot Henderson over the last maybe month or so and, and watching some clips on him and seeing him play at the start of this ignite season how competitive he is. Uh, that was yeah. the one thing when you watched the matchup with Victor Weminyama when they played in, in Vegas, 
But Scoot was going at him. Like, he is not going to shy from any type of matchup. He wants the spotlight. He wants the moment. He wants the ball in his hands to be trusted to be that number one creator and option. But he's responsible with that kind of creating duty. He doesn't just go out there and try to get his. Uh, We saw him really make a point to come out swinging and scoring in that first game against Victor. And then in the fourth quarter, just made every right read, every right pass to involve other guys. I think that that balance of scoring and playmaking at such a young age is hard to teach. And it shows just how special of a prospect he is with the ball in his hands. You know, you mentioned the size at about 6'2", maybe 6'3". Defensively, I guess there are a couple challenges that come with playing that way. But because he is so athletic and does have the ability to add strength to his frame, I think that he's going to fare a little bit better maybe than some people would think um, at the point of attack defensively. So really, really good pick on your end, getting scoop number two. Okay. Adam, I give you the floor again. You are up at number three. I am. And I am going to go with somebody here that has made quite an ascent up my board over the last month or so. I was a little lower on him initially, but I've started to come around. Tom N. Thompson for Overtime Elite, firmly checking in at the number three spot on my board. Um, six foot seven, six foot eight, freak athlete. And when we say freak, we don't just mean in terms of his vertical leaping ability. Yes, he has that. But it's the change of gears from stop to start, the ability to go from zero to 60, essentially become a walking paint touch whenever he wants it. That makes him so tantalizing as an offensive type of prospect. Uh, really creative finisher near the basket. Obviously, he has all of the dunks and the ability to finish above the rim, but he's got this contortionist feel for how he reacts to rim protectors that come near him at the hoop. He's really, really good and crafty finishing below the basket. He's got nice touch there. And a, yeah. a sensational passer. That's one thing that's always stood out to me about Amen Thompson is the functionality of his passing on the move, his high IQ and willingness to create plays for others out of the pick and roll. He has a lot to develop in his game offensively. The jump shot has been a question mark that Sam, you and I have talked about a lot here on the podcast. I think the pull-up jumper is something that has to be able to improve, particularly if he's going to be a high usage offensive piece playing out of the pick and roll. You know, if that's going to happen, he's got to be able to make sure that defenders can't just go underneath everything and dare him to shoot time and time again. So there are areas he's got to work on, but with all of the natural tools, the high level feel he has, the intangible boxes that he checks off by being such a hard worker and a really good kid, and the versatility to guard multiple positions on the defensive end while being a plus athlete and a smart defender. Uh, I think that if all we're waiting for here is a jump shot to come around, this is a guy who's going to make an impact regardless, but how high a level of an impact is going to defend on that jumper. I'm willing to take a bet on him third overall in this class. I am too, because I think that his ability to pressure the basket and to make high level passing reads is going to carry him through regardless of the way that this looks right now in terms of the jumper. I just firmly believe that, He's going to be able to get separation. He's going to be able to get paint touches in transition in the half court whenever he wants just point blank. Like you said, he's a very creative finisher. I think that he is just someone that's going to be effective in that regard. And then even if the jumper takes three years to figure itself out, I 
you know, if it takes five years to figure itself out, he's still going to be effective because he's still going to be able to break down defenders. He's still going to be an exceptionally high level defender. I believe this. This would also be my number three overall pick for sure. Uh, Amen Thompson is a good selection. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Number four, we're up Uh, now. Don't do it to me, Sam. Don't do it to me. I am going to take... Cam Whitmore at number four, which I assume is who you wanted as well, right? So the reason I'm taking Cam Whitmore is he's six foot six. He's 225 pounds. He is, he has this incredible blend, I think, of grace and balance in addition to just explosiveness and power and physicality that is going to mesh really, really well. He, He has that like, that combination that's going to allow him to be a very real mismatch threat in the NBA. On top of it, he is a developing shooter, but someone I believe that will knock down shots. This year is going to be a little bit interesting because he's entering the season with a thumb injury. And obviously that can fester at times for guys that are 
not like the most elite of the elite shooters. And I wouldn't say Cam Whitmore is that to this point. So how we evaluate Cam Whitmore's jumper this year, I think is going to be interesting. He's a conscientious defender who can play both the three and the four at the college level will be basically a pure three in the NBA, really high level slasher, just knows how to play, has a very high IQ as well. I love how intelligent he is on the court. He makes the right cuts. He makes the right reads defensively. He's an impact player on both ends of the court and uses his athleticism and length, except exceptionally well uh adam as we've talked about before you played cam whitmore last year in the league that you coach in over in virginia virginia dmv what do we want to describe the area as baltimore um explain cam whitmore for people that are just tuning in for the first time and haven't gotten to see him play yet yeah he is a graceful mac truck that is going to run over anything in his path trying to get to the rim and he's always had this special physical ability to score, to put his head down, to get to the bucket, and both finish in transition in the half court. But over the last year or so, he's added so much of the perimeter skill that goes with it. Uh, he's a very, very uh, underrated catch-and-shoot guy. And a lot of the reason that his shot is going to be successful, in my view, is because his first step and his power as a driver is going to force guys to play maybe a half step off of him more than they would anybody else. Because if you have to crowd Cam Whitmore, forget about it. He's too strong. He's not going to get bumped off of his spots. He's a competent enough handler. So if your defender plays back off of him, he's going to have a little bit more room to get his jump shot off. It's kind of square and kind of slow right now, but it works because of the rest of his game. I want to see the mid-range continue to develop, but – uh, he has he's added a lot of offensive polish over the last year and is really, really confident being more of a face-up guy. Uh, not going to be somebody that bullies everybody in the post. I think that that's an area he can add to his game. And Villanova, if Kyle Neptune continues with the Jay Wright trends, will be posting up their guards every now and again. So I'd like to see that from Whitmore because of his strength. But um, going to be an impactful player in transition a bully driver and a mismatch wing attacker and somebody who on the defensive end of the floor is just always going to be solid. Love the high ceiling because man, did he kill us last year? He, he kicked my ass twice, man. <laughs> okay. Spins you're up at number five. That is Cam Whitmore at number four. Yeah. A tough one here for me um, because I, this is where, so honestly, like number three, I think is where things really get difficult. Or not number three, number yeah. four after pick three yeah. is where you can go in a few different directions. I considered like four guys at number four. Um, but there is still a number of guys that I think you get into the mix here at number five. Yeah. And I am, again, going to go with one of those recent risers and somebody that I've just fallen in love with over the last month or so. Might be a bit of a surprise. I'm going Brandon Miller out of Alabama. Fifth overall, Brandon Miller. I kind of expected Um, you to do this. Explain why. Yeah, yeah. Just there's something about the intel that you hear about a guy who receives rave reviews from his teammates as being different. That makes you want to buy into him being able to continue that to the next level. You know, six foot eight, maybe six foot nine ish, kind of a wing forward type of player. Great scorer thrives in the mid-range, and is a tough bucket. He's not an elite athlete that's going to create separation in one-on-one situations and continually play at the rim. He is a crafty, understands angles and spacing, how to get his own shot off against any type of defense. 
bag full of counters, one-on-one type of scorer. I believe that a guy who's that confident and accurate in the 15 to 18 range is going to be able to transition that to pull-ups from three very consistently. There's nothing about his jump shot form that really scares me away. The two areas that gave me pause initially on Brandon Miller were the amount of rim pressure because he's not an elite athlete and what is his natural position to guard on the defensive end. But Mm. if you are a a devastatingly effective isolation score and number one top option for your, your team, you can figure the rest of that stuff out. And there's a little bit of passing and playmaking in there. There's enough ball handling that I've seen that I've fallen in love with. And I think that he's going to be able to get to the rim because of how crafty and smart that he is. I'm ready to go all in on a guy like this. Like he is just risen up my board so high. I like this archetype of, of a player, a bigger wing who can handle and create. I don't know what not to like about Brandon Miller at this point. Yeah. Would not surprise me if this ends up being the case on draft night that Brandon Miller ends up in the top five. This is a little bit higher than where I had him, but I think this is a reasonable pick. Someone that one of the four guys that I considered it for along with Cam Whitmore. Um Brandon Miller is an interesting one because, you know, I've talked about this before. I wasn't an enormous fan of what I saw uh, at the high school level, but the the more that I've watched him, the more that I get it. Uh, He's firing up threes like in their first uh, exhibition game against Southern Illinois. He took five threes in that game and he missed all of them, but just the sheer confidence. And we know Nate Oates will give him the green light to be able to shoot, uh, which is a really, really good sign, I think. Uh, that he's already confident enough to just fire up those threes uh, at such a level. He still ended up with 14 points on 13 shots, even though he missed threes at some point. um, Those threes are going to fall, and he's going to put up even bigger numbers. Alabama's first game uh, is against Longwood on Monday, and then they get a Liberty team on Friday that does tend to be pretty difficult to deal with defensively that I I think could actually tell us a little bit about where Brandon Miller is as a player. They're going to crowd him in that mid-range area, particularly, and make him uncomfortable. Uh, How can he adjust to dealing with that? Uh, Yeah, really, really interesting player. Really interesting player and a guy that, given his size, his body control, his balance, his ability to create shots, this is what the NBA is looking for. Uh, This would not surprise me at all to see him go as high as four. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see him go as late as like 15 at the end of the day, depending on how he shoots this year. But I think that it seems to be going toward the higher end of that right now, based on all of the Intel that you get. Okay. I am up at number six. I'm going to go Nick Smith at number six and Arkansas has had a weird preseason. It seems like where they're still definitely integrating a lot of different pieces, but the constant, in it all for scouts that have seen them in practice is that Nick Smith looks every bit as advertised in terms of being a six foot five combo shot creator that can handle some lead guard because of his ability to handle his craft as a ball handler, not the most explosive guy in the world, but is uh, someone that can gain separation, particularly to get to his mid range jumper and also to get to his step back three point jumper. 
I will be interested to see how much pressure he consistently puts on the rim this year. Uh, that That is a area that I'm looking for from him. That could be a difficult challenge for him because Arkansas, as currently constructed, uh, Trevon Brazil is shooting some threes here and there as like a space five. They're starting Jalen Graham right now as a like four man sort of Jalen Graham is more of like a mid range guy that has this like weird mix of floaters and push shots and stuff like that. Uh, And then they're starting Anthony black and Jordan Walsh, neither of whom are shooters uh, next to Nick Smith. So how much pressure can he put on the rim? How much can Arkansas work to space the floor around Nick Smith? I think is going to be a really, really interesting question to track this year. Um, what does their offense look like? Does it sometimes look like a bit of a clogged toilet? Unfortunately, that could be the case. We will see uh, what this looks like, but from a skill perspective, he has all the craft, all the technical ball handling ability, all of the potential to shoot it. I think at a really high level and passing ability. He's not like a pass first guy necessarily, but when he is looking to make high level passing reads, he can do that at a pretty high level. So Nick Smith at number six for me, uh, I believe in him. I, I'm a big buyer of his talent. It's just, I will be interested to see what it looks like this year in an Arkansas situation that may not be totally catered to his specific gifts. Yeah, it's Arkansas is a fascinating situation right now, Sam, for that reason and that reason only. I mean, when I think of Nick Smith, I, I think of a lot of the issues that other great combo guard scorers at Kentucky have kind of faced over the last several years where because of the role that they're asked to play, they don't get to show the full litany of skills that they have to be able to use at the NBA level. That's something that we've seen time and time again from guys like Devin Booker and Jamal Murray, who basically never ran a pick and roll and were just used as off-ball floor spacers because they had so many athletic, non-shooting guards and players on the floor of Kentucky. This may end up being a similar type of circumstance for Nick Smith at Arkansas. Now, the, the yep. difficulty in that is you sometimes can't help yourself but go based on the film and the numbers that develop over the next six or seven months. But I think we've got to be able to take this with a grain of salt and identify if he's such a talented kid and he's that one shooter that may end up making a little bit of a sacrifice just so that all of the pieces that the Razorbacks have can gel, that shouldn't detract from his draft stock in June. So uh, yeah. I certainly understand why he would be in the, the conversation at number four, which I'm assuming is some guy that you gave some thought to at that point. Yeah. Creative scorer, really, really fun player. Uh, I get it, but it could be a strange year for him in Arkansas. It could be, yeah. Okay, you're up at number seven, Adam. Yeah, I, I like this one here. Uh, I got one guy that I considered taking at five that fell to me here. It's uh, Derek Whitehead at Duke. I am a a big Dariq Whitehead fan. Uh, I think that he's strong, polished scorer, six foot six with good length and athleticism, uh, can play the two or the three, really, really confident type of player, and, you know, share the floor with some some great college uh, prospects who are are now going to be making waves on their own this season. I think he's due to explode when he gets to be the man a little bit, Um, Mm. you know, full-out assaults on the rim when he puts his head down and drives, has the ability to hit tough step-backs in the mid-range and is not trigger-shy at all with his pull-up. 
and has developed what I think is a pretty reliable catch-and-shoot game from three. So there is some three-level upside and ability to him while having maybe a little bit more size than another guy that I considered here uh, at this pick. Just if there's one trend that I'm leaning towards right now, it's going a little bit higher on guys who have good athleticism and maybe a little bit longer or bigger than somebody else that I like at their position. If you look at the way the Orlando Magic, the Toronto Raptors, so many of these other teams are trending in the NBA right now, size across all these positions is huge. So, yeah. you know, being six foot six and being able to play the two guard spot is really intriguing to me. I know he's going to miss part of the season here. He's been dealing with some injury throughout the fall. We don't know exactly what he's going to look like when he comes back. Duke has a ton of young guys to be able to integrate, but I'm just betting on his talents and upside long-term. I think that he is the type of player whose game is going to pop really well in the NBA as opposed to necessarily in college. Yeah, Derek Whitehead is dealing with a foot injury currently. John Shire, after their exhibition game this weekend, was stated as saying or quoted as saying that he is seemingly a couple of weeks away still, uh, which gives me some pause. Like foot injuries do tend to linger uh, throughout the course of the year. They tend to fuck up a guy's shooting ability. They tend to screw up a guy's yeah. uh, explosion in, in terms of leaping. And for people who have watched Derek Whitehead, he's someone that like he wants to get downhill in a straight line and put one on your head. That is his game. And I will be interested to see what it looks like from a talent perspective. He's got a lot of it. Like no question. Uh, the shooting off the catch, the ability to attack closeouts in a straight line and finish. Uh, I'm a, I'm not like a hundred percent sure. I see him as like a two guard in the NBA. I almost see him a little bit more as a three, if only because I worry about the shiftiness as being like a secondary ball handler, like a true, uh, you're going to throw him on the throw him ball on the second side of the court. And he's going to do anything other than drive in a straight line. Right. Um, We'll see. His handle is something that improved throughout the course of his high school career, but uh, I want to see more of the technical ability from Derek Whitehead. I don't know that we've totally seen that at like the highest level yet uh, from him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say on, on him, Sam is I, I kind of love his confidence. Like he carries yeah, himself. Totally. Like he expects to be a 20, 25 point per game scorer. He expects to be a top three pick. Like there's something kind of endearing to me about somebody like that. And similar to Nick Smith, like this may not be the ideal freshman year because he's coming in, he's already starting injured. He's a, a player who, you know, relies on that physical first step of being able to play in straight lines. If he doesn't have all of that burst from day one, he's going to start slow. Uh, but again, I'm willing to bet on the long-term kind of upside and, and fit in the NBA game for somebody like him. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, Derek Whitehead would have been eighth for me. Uh, I have the next guy in that group that I considered at number four, uh, Keontae George is the guy. This is a player that like, I just have heard nothing but positive things about out of Baylor. It started this summer when he went up with them to Canada and had an absolutely terrific. What, what was that? The global jam event is what we're, what it was called. Right. Yeah. Um, they played the U 23 yeah, Canadian so. team. He dropped like 35 points in that game. Uh, he's been terrific all summer. Uh, he looks like he's going to step in and play the Jared Butler role uh, next to uh, next to why, why am I blanking on the terrific oh, guards at Baylor? They got 
they got a million. LJ Cryer, they've got Langston Love. they got a million guys yeah. there. Yeah, they have a ton of guys there that I'm really, really excited about. Adam Flagler is who I'm Adam thinking of. Flagler. Uh, Flagler yeah. is going to be an absolutely tremendous player at Baylor this year. Um, you know, high-level shooter, had a killer game against UNC in the tournament that they were eliminated uh, in. But you look at the flagler Keontae george combination, uh, Cryer's going to come in. Like you said, Langston Love's going to come in. This is the best backcourt in the country, and Keontae George is kind of the key of it to me because of his ability to consistently get his own shot. He's someone that's going to be able to run ball screens. He's going to be able to make uh, high-level scoring uh, drives because he's a terrific finisher at the rim. He has a really nice in-between game. He can shoot from distance. I think he has a real chance to be the most impactful freshman in college basketball this season. Well, CJ Moore and I have a thing coming tomorrow, so Monday, uh, where we're ranking the top 50 newcomers uh, across college basketball. Keontae George is number two for us. Like Everything that we've heard out of Baylor is that Keontae George is going to be an absolute monster this season, an incredible impact player, and he's got the craft that you look for from players uh, entering the college game, his ability to handle the ball, his ability to shoot. Uh, yeah, I'm a believer in Keontae George at a really high level. Yeah, I buy it. Uh, you know, through the, the first eight picks that we've had here, I think in some order I had all of those guys in my top eight. So uh, no complaints yep. about any of the decisions that you've made there. And I think with guys like Keontae, Nick Smith, and Derek Whitehead, it's – not necessarily, I don't want to say splitting hairs in some regard, but it's almost like pick your flavor that you really prefer out of a yeah. lot of these guys. And for me, it's, it's a little bit more size and like bursty athleticism for Whitehead that I was attracted to. But Keontae can fill it up in a hurry, man. And if he's able to defend at a, at a high enough level this year, uh, um, yeah, that eight's going to look too low for him when we look back at this several months from now. Yeah, totally. Okay, you're up at number nine. Th- this is where I think it like mm-hmm. really starts to open up quite a bit. It does. And we've talked about this before. I have a, a belief that in the later parts of the lottery, you just got to take somebody who you believe is going to be an impactful player in your rotation or in your starting lineup eventually. And there's one guy still on the board that I have really high hopes for to be that super dependable piece. It's Derek Lively at Duke. Uh, okay. It's traditionally a little bit higher than you might see a non-perimeter skilled big go in the draft. But seven foot, seven foot one, really, really long, great defender and and shot blocker on the interior. He has also shown through AAU film and and playing in high school at Westtown that he can switch a little bit on the perimeter. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a switch by design. This is exactly what we want you to do every single time because, A, he's so good around the rim. You want him there. But, B, in late clock situations, when you get forced to switch, he's not going to be chopped liver in that situation. And, and yeah. to me, yeah, he, that's be, really yeah. attractive as a fail safe. Yeah, he'll, he'll be a drop big that if he gets caught on an island against a guard, will be able to handle himself out there at the very least. Yep. Yep. And, and offensively, he's much more of a catch and finish screen and roll type of big. That's his, that's his role. That he's, that's what he's going to do. But he shows intrigue in this very smooth catch-and-shoot jumper, whether it's out of the pick-and-pop, spacing the floor to corners. There's something valuable about that as well. So for me, it's the reliability of what he's going to be as your rim-running, pick-and-roll, drop coverage big, while also believing that 
Yeah, this is definitely a guy that might be able to add a little bit more intrigue to a team standpoint because he can switch some ball screens, because he can stretch the floor a little bit and space the three-point line. I'm willing to invest in a guy like that in the later part of the lottery. Okay, so here's what I would ask, and this can be a philosophical question in general here. Derek Lively is someone where the shot, I agree with you, it looks like it has a lot of upside, but he has never really made shots at a level to where a team should let him shoot from three, right? So how do you go about evaluating his potential to shoot it, given that the results have never actually matched the mechanics? Yeah, it's a great question. And like I think another guy who kind of fits that bill and maybe an unfair comparison and me just trying to dig myself out of a hole here is Victor Weminyama. Like he's never had a season where he's shot over 30% from three, but we do believe in the mechanics. We do know that the work that he's put in and the confidence that he shoots it with leads us all to believe, man, he's, he's definitely going to be able to do it to the next level. Very different type of situation because Victor is taking some wildly difficult ones and knocking them down. And he takes a lot more of them. But I think with Lively, some of the same type of attributes are going to apply where the confidence that he kind of shoots it with when he's open. I think his mechanics are pretty smooth. And big guys tend to, not always, but they tend to get their shots in two primary locations. In the corners when they space the floor out to that area. And at the top of the key when they're picking and popping in an NBA offense. And if you can just work on the consistency from two areas, that's a lot easier to to really nail down the logistics of improving your shot than it is for a wing player who has to be able to hit them at six or seven different spots on the floor and on the move and all these different areas. So it's much easier to me to be able to, to get the mechanics working, to understand that if defenses are going to play off, if he's guarded by opposing fives, he'll probably have a little bit more space to shoot. I'm willing to buy into all of those factors adding up to him being at least competent at that level. Okay, so this is now, I'm up at number 10, and this is where I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer. Um, I'm going to go Gigi Jackson at number 10. And I like Gigi Jackson a lot. I I like his upside a lot. I I think that this year is going to be, I don't want to say a throwaway year for Gigi Jackson at all, because it's going to be incredibly important for his development that he's getting a chance to go and play at South Carolina, play up a year, get a chance to really adjust to the physicality that uh, is going to be shown to him as he moves up levels. I just wonder if the performance will necessarily, especially early in the season, be as strong as you expect from a number 10 overall pick. Gigi Jackson is six foot nine, has really long arms, a very impactful defender, I think, at a you know highest level in my opinion. Someone that can uh switch out onto the perimeter as well as be a weak side rim protector. Uh this is a guy that probably more of a four that can slide down to the five as opposed to uh, more of a four that can slide to the three. Uh, you know, a really, really mismatched, nightmare kind of guy where you're hoping that the positional size that he has can take him through, can handle the ball out in transition, needs to tighten it up a little bit in the half court. Uh, can make high-level passing reads out in transition, 
hasn't really shown that same level yet in the half court. He's a very young player. He is still 17 years old and he's going to be playing college basketball next year. But you look at his balance, his athleticism, his grace, his body control. He's strong for someone that is this age uh, with this kind of frame. You do want to buy into it. He also has potential to shoot it uh, at a pretty real level. It's all potential with Gigi Jackson at this point as opposed to production. But I am at this point of this class willing to buy into potential a little bit more than buying into maybe a couple of the other guys on the board. And Adam might be gone. We, we might have lost Adam here uh, on the show. He might be frozen. He he just did not did not like my take on Gigi Jackson. Um, while we're waiting for Adam, I will answer a few questions here. Uh, Jesse Bender says you call Lively not a perimeter skilled big. I'd say his best. His second best NBA skill is his three-point upside. That being said, he's not a lottery pick. I'll be honest with you. I had Derek Lively a little bit lower than where Adam had him. Uh, Adam's Wi-Fi has crapped out for what it's worth. Uh, I I would have had him more near the end of the lottery as opposed to taking him at number nine. a few people have asked, is a sore Thompson that much inferior to his brother? Look, I don't even know that it's inferior necessarily. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to get to a sore Thompson here in a minute, I'm sure. And we'll, we'll kind of talk through what our concerns are with a sore, but I'm pretty intrigued by the athleticism while also having some concerns about what his ultimate role is in the NBA Uh, here. We might have Adam back. Now we have the circle of death here on the screen. Um, Adam, are you back? I believe I'm still alive and Gigi Jackson is off the board. If I, uh, if I cut out at the wrong time there, I, I think I missed a little bit of the explanation, but it does seem like Gigi Jackson went 10th overall. Gigi Jackson went 10th overall. Give me, give me a take on Gigi Jackson. I'm so curious to see what the half court offense is going to look like for him. Uh, South Carolina seems to be, I don't want to say committed to playing him at more of a wing or a forward type of spot, but that yeah. does seem to be what they're they're going to be trying to accomplish this year in a way that's going to develop him for the NBA game. And I just caution a lot of people to understand he's going to have a lot of pressure thrust on his shoulders to create, maybe in a way that he's either not ready for or hasn't been asked to do at lower levels because he plays a lot more of a athletic y, you know, big man interior presence type of position at, at some lower levels. Uh, I get the swing on an upside. I don't think it's a bad pick by any means here, Sam. I just think this year might get a little bit clunky for him. And we all as evaluators have to remind ourselves that this is a teenage kid, a year early in college being thrust into a situation that might not be for his benefit. Okay. You're up at number 11 now, Adam. I'm up at 11 and I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with a sore Thompson. 
Yeah, this was my next one. Thompson for overtime elite. Yeah. So let's explain. Yeah, I think we're at the. Yeah, while you were gone, some people uh, asked why is a sore so much lower than a men Thompson. So uh, let's kind of dive into a sore's game here. Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of Amen light in a lot of regards. Um, you know, very similar athletes, but Amen has a little bit more burst. Similar passers, but Amen is a little bit better at making those late reads as he drives to the basket. Similar defenders, uh, but I think Amen's a little bit better on ball, where Sore is a little bit more polished as a team defender. And when I look at the shooting ability and kind of upside, Amen has more confidence there that's definitely a clear area where when he's taking those pull-ups like the form's still not great but he believes that they're going to go in more than a sore does he looks a little bit skittish uh trying to take a lot of those catch and shoot shots or even those pull-ups so i think that's where the gap between the two kind of comes in is that just right now there's a little bit more projectability with amen's game than there is with the sores of believing all those smaller points are going to translate towards primary creation. That said, he's an effective defender, a hell of an athlete, a really good slasher and smart basketball player. There are ways to make him incredibly effective on a basketball court. I'm just not fully there that it's going to be as a number one or number two option with the ball in his hands. So that's one of the reasons why I've been. That's where the role concern comes in because If he is not a number one or number two, the shooting concern that both of the Thompson twins have is amplified, uh, given how important shooting is from role players across the NBA. Uh, Asor is not as twitchy and not as able to create separation out of nothing as Amen is. That's why Amen can be more of a primary creator, which is why Amen is at number three and we have a sore right now at number 11 uh, on the board here. But as you move down tiers in terms of value across the NBA, the shooting weakness becomes amplified and a sore thus far. Uh, I don't know what happened this weekend necessarily, but as of last Thursday, he had not yet made a three in overtime's games and that's a concern. They're they're both really hard workers and you want to buy into the shooting, but improving, but it, it, the concern becomes amplified when he's not a primary guy. And I don't think he quite has the twitchiness and craft as a ball handler to be able to play as a primary guy, especially if the jumper, uh, especially off of pull-ups particularly is not as much of a threat is what we would like it to be. Um, okay. I think that answers the Asor Thompson question. Um, I think Albert Singleton put it well here. Like this goes to show how narrow the margins are in the NBA. The minor differences between the twins is worth eight spots. I think that's a hundred percent right. The, the minor differences between the two is really the difference on the margin between being a primary guy potentially and having like 
substantial questions about how someone fits into a role in the NBA. I, I love a sore Thompson and I love a men Thompson. I've talked to them on the podcast before, as you guys have seen also, by the way, for people, uh, I will have the drew Timmy tape watch along being released tonight. It will also be attached to the podcast at the end of this episode. If you're listening on the podcast feed, so please uh, wait for that. But I'm excited. Uh, to share that with you guys, just as I was excited to talk to Asor and Amen Thompson, both of whom were just elite, elite, elite character guys uh, across the board and just super emotionally intelligent and mature. And those are the kind of guys you want to buy into improving. But I, I just have a couple of questions still about the margins, yep. essentially, as to whether or not Asor can be a secondary guy or a primary guy. Uh, okay, I'm up at number 12. I am going to go. I'm going to go Kaysen Wallace out of Kentucky. And this is purely a defense, high level intensity. I believe him as just a super competitive dude pick. Uh, I think Kaysen Wallace probably profiles a little bit more as a role player as opposed to like a superstar in the NBA. He is a super high level defender, a super high level uh, playmaker and a solid creator on the ball who can create his own shot, but it's more about the defense for me. I think he has a chance to be one of the best on ball defenders in college basketball this season. Uh, he's also six foot three and a half, six foot four. He can switch down one to two can deal with threes because of his strength and aggressiveness. Uh, I'm a big time believer in his defensive upside. And also I'm a believer in the shooting upside. I think at some point he's going to be a high level shooter, even if it's not white there yet although i think that he will knock down enough shots to consistently play and be um a real option for kentucky this year what i like about casein is the ability to play both on and off ball and i think that's going to be important for kentucky this year as kentucky fans know severe wheeler is someone that can go through patches where you just kind of shouldn't have him on the court because of the turnovers because of the lack of shooting casein's ability to slide over and play the point at times is going to allow them to have real flexibility in terms of the lineups that they construct this year. So I'm a big fan of case and Wallace. I love just the aggressiveness, the toughness, everything he's going to bring from an intangible level. Uh, I'm a bill. I'm a believer at the end of the day, he is just that dude that is going to set a tone for a team. And I have him at number 12 here. Yeah, he's a pit bull of a defender, Sam. Reminds me a lot of like an Avery Bradley type of combo guard who like his specialty is going to be defense, but he does enough different things on the offensive end just to be able to figure out how to be useful. He shoots it, decent passer on the move, like can create a little bit, not a ton, uh, but a good enough passer. I like the pick. I get it. He's a culture changer. Like to me, he is the guard version of a Derek Lively. Very solid, dependable, good fit yeah. in any type of team or system. It's just going to make those around him better. Uh, I think that the late part of the lottery is the right time to take a lot of those guys. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, uh, you are up, Adam, at number 13. Sam, I'm going to do it. What are you about I'm gonna to go do? Bob. Bob, Bob Miller. We're going Bob Miller. This, from is, this is aggressive, Adam, even for you. <laughs> oh, I am all in on the Bob Miller experience. Um, there's something to me about a guy who just flashes every bit of skill and is so young and 
unrefined in some ways. That's just interesting. And in today's climate of the NBA, you win with unique toolsy players who have length. And that's Bob Miller. He's really unique on the offensive end of the floor. And he's super, super long. 6'10", maybe 6'11 now. Seems to be getting a little bit taller. Incredibly fluid athlete. Great in transition with the ball in his hands. Runs the wings. Can run in that rim runner spot in the middle as well. Good athletic finisher above the basket despite having a little bit thinner of a frame. Uh, He's shown the ability to shoot it too, Sam. And that's catch and shoot. That's a little bit off the bounce. And it's even off of the move and off screens. I'm just intrigued by the combination of size, fluidity, and natural kind of propensity to shoot the basketball on the offensive end of the floor. Still don't know what the role is going to be primarily for him in the half court, whether it's playing more off ball and attacking closeouts or whether he can be some sort of a unique mismatch, bizarro pick and roll handler. But this is my version of your sweet boy, Alexei Pokashevsky. Like this is the guy who has all of the tools, the natural fluidity, the upside that you want to buy into. And you know it's going to take a couple of years, but you fall in love with the upside. And I've, I've had that so far with Bob Miller. I hope he's freed by the NCAA and they start to rethink some of their uh, issues that we've gone over on the podcast in the past. But that's not going to deter me from taking somebody whose upside, I believe, can be really, really special. Well, ab- above all, with... Baba Miller, he fits the paradigm that teams are beginning to draft into in terms of size and skill intersection. That's why I don't think this is like a crazy selection here. Look, it's a fucking preseason mock draft. Like, let's go nuts, right? Um, but like, I, I do worry about, you know what? Like maybe being suspended, like could help him a little bit. He's not going to get the early time. Um, it could end up hindering him because Leonard Miller my, or Leonard Hamilton, God, not Leonard Miller. Uh, Leonard Hamilton could just decide to roll with who he's got because Florida State's pretty deep this year, uh, as they often are. And Leonard Hamilton could just decide like, you know what? He didn't get a chance to like, you know, get the game time that he needed against younger teams. So it's going to be a struggle to play him uh, in the ACC or, it could allow Baba a little bit more time to adjust, a little bit more practice time, and could get him with his feet underneath him by the time he plays uh, for Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. We'll see how it looks. I-, I think it could look really, really good. It could look like a bit more of a question for him, but th- this is like the highest upside. Like could you know could be a top ten pick. Could end up not in this draft. Uh, could end up in the 2024 NBA draft, I think, for sure. But, yeah, I think it's a very – it's not an impossible pick that this could end up being the thing that uh, happens with Bob Miller well, at all. And, it, yeah. If he's going to be in this draft, I think that you have to take him somewhere in, like, the top 20 because he's just – he's got such high upside. Like if, if he's not a top 20 pick, he probably is going to get counseled to go back to school for a second year. I, I, I don't think this is that unreasonable, Sam. Um, no, I don't either. Exactly. Like you said, he's the intersection of all of those things that NBA teams are looking for these days. He's so young and just the natural shooting ability to go with it is huge. It's not just size and skill, it's size, skill and shooting. And then that opens up Pandora's box for me. Okay, I'm going with another size, skill, and shooting guy here. Uh, I'm taking Tyrese Proctor at number 14. And it's size, skill, and potential to shoot it. 
for the guard position as much as anything. I think he's a legit lead guard at six foot five. Uh, you look at his pick and roll playmaking ability. He is a super high level passer. He can hit cross corner kickouts. He can hit lobs at a really high level. He's really smart. Doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, you just look at the way these Australian big guards have translated over the course of the last couple of years. Josh Giddy, uh, Dyson Daniels, Tyrese Proctor has long been seen as the next guy. He chose to attend Duke this year. Uh, and I, I think that. Duke is much better for it. It's going to allow them to slide Jeremy Roach off the ball into a more natural situation. And I'll be honest, scouts that have been down there, they can't stop speaking highly enough about Tyrese Proctor as a player. He's a high-level defender at the point of attack as well. Um, Yeah, like I've even heard a couple of people say to me, like, don't be surprised if the gap between Dariq Whitehead and Tyrese Proctor closes by the end of the year and they end up being taken right in the same area as one another. I've taken Tyrese Proctor at 14 here, and I'm very happy with it. And I will also note that scouts that have been down there have said that his jumper looks better at the very least. That was the concern coming in. How does he score? Can he consistently put pressure on the defense uh, outside of ball screens? Uh, can he consistently knock down shots from distance and force teams to k- come out on him as a shooter? I've heard that it looks better. I don't know that it's like some elite weapon yet, but I've heard it looks better. And because of that, uh, yeah, Tyrese Proctor, number 14 overall for me. Yeah, yeah, great pick. Uh, I was I was heavily debating at 13 I, I ended up going with my boy baba and taking the upside swing but like you only heard great things i th- think the jumper looks great and what i saw this summer uh if that continues and that's the version of proctor we get it's a really well-rounded guard and a winning piece yep okay you're up at number 15 and as usual in these we're gonna buzz through the last yeah. 16 picks yeah at least to an extent like we're still gonna talk about them all but like you know yeah. Move, move a little bit quicker. Yep. I am, uh, I'm still going with the trending upward guys here. So 15, I'm going Jalen hood Shafino at Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Trending upwards. Let's Sam. do um, it. Let's do it. I like big guards. I like big guards who are physical and are able to play at different paces. He's very acrobatic around the rim. He can take space and, and play bursty and getting there, but he's also great at using angles and hostage dribbles and, and all these other crafty things that young teenage point guards who are really, really good seem to have in their bag by the time they get to college. The jump shot is the one worry. I think that it's going to come around to at least a competent level. That's based more so in his confidence and kind of shooting them and things that I've heard than it is from, you know, just evidence over the last year or so. But, uh, this is the another flyer for me. Like I think this is going to be a draft where we have a ton of freshmen who end up proving that they belong in this lottery conversation. And if there's one guy we haven't mentioned yet who I would put my money on being there, it's going to be Hood Shafino in Indiana. So I'll be honest. What I've heard about Hood Shafino is like might be a like first round pick this year. Might go one and done. Might be a first round pick. I've gotten like kind of similar vibes to Trevor Keels. At Duke last year, you know, a guy that's a bit of a surprise first round pick, you know, questionable as a shooter, but does everything else really, really well. Right. And you can buy him as a defender. You can buy him as a playmaker on the ball. He can play off the ball. You can do a lot of different stuff with him. 
I haven't really gotten like near lottery vibes. Have you gotten that yet? Um, I've gotten closer to it maybe than you have. I've gotten like news first, which, you know, is, is kind of what I've, what I've heard from some people. I just big guards who know how to play with their size are appealing to me because they have this natural feel to their game. And I'm at the yeah. point where I've seen enough questionable shooters come in the draft over the last couple of years that end up becoming reliable shooters from deep. That's not the, as big of a deterrence to me anymore is the lack of, of shooting range. If you're confident enough to shoot it, then I think that there, that's more important than um, having pristine form from day one. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm not, I don't hate that. Okay. I'm up at number 16 now. I'm going to go, I'm between two guys here. Oh God. I'm going to go, mm, I'm going to go Anthony Black out of Arkansas. And Anthony Black has a lot of similar vibes to Jalen Huchifino as far as does everything at a really, really high level. Exceptional pick and roll playmaker, passer, high level uh, distributor off the ball as well. Just makes the right passing reads. He makes everyone's job easier. On top of that, really, really high level defender uh, who can defend one through three because he's six foot seven. Again, the paradigm here that I think you'll note from Adam and I, positional size, positional size and skill level and feel. Those are the things that NBA teams are looking for right now. Anthony Black can play a credible point guard at six foot seven because of his passing ability, his playmaking ability. So I've gone Anthony Black here. Um, you know, I, it, I have concerns about the jumper. I've heard that it does not look great, to be honest, um, from people who have been down there. But if he can do anything as a shooter this year, even, uh, I think it will exceed expectations and could end up pushing him toward the lottery. And I've got him here at 16. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Uh, I was really high on Anthony Black coming into the season. I think I've soured a little bit more, uh, not really intel-wise, just more so I haven't figured out how he scores on an NBA court. So I'm kind of waiting. The jury is out for me. I need him to prove how he scores on court as opposed to me giving him the benefit of the doubt preseason. Sure. But uh, yeah, certainly a a good flyer with size, uh, basketball IQ, and and playmaking ability. Okay. You are up at, yeah, number 17, Adam. All right. I am going to go with Jarris Walker at Houston. Um, Good size. Strong body and frame. I think the NBA is trending a little bit more towards having guys that are really big play at that four spot. We saw a couple of years ago, it was really this spread and space, all three-point shooting, you know, guys who are small forwards that eventually age into becoming power forwards by the time their career winds down. And with success that the Cleveland Cavaliers are having with Milwaukee Bucks playing two bigger guys in their front court a lot of the time together. I think we're just going to start to see this trend coming back of really needing somebody who can provide that offensive spacing and skill while also having physicality to guard bigger and be physical on the interior. Uh, And Jarris Walker checks those boxes on the defensive end. I've got my worries about the jump shot, Sam. It's slow. It's a little bit clunky. Um, but he's shown me a little bit of bully ball ability to 
take other guys off the drive. And with his, his size and strength, he's going to be able to do that against even strong athletes. And I do like him as more of a facilitator at the elbows and the top of the key. I think that there's something to him being able to function within a set and create things for other people that you can scheme ways to make him useful on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, but this is more of a defensive pick to me at this point in the, the middle part of the first round. Yeah. Okay. You've gone Jarris Walker from Houston. I am going to go at number 18, Terquavion Smith. I'm taking someone who returned to college basketball. I know that we have not done that yet, and I want to do that because it is very rare for a draft to get to the point where we are this deep into it and someone has not gone off the board who has returned to college basketball. Terquavion Smith is the best pull-up three-point jump shot creator in this class. Um, He averaged, I think, 19 points a game on 40% three-point shooting on 10 three-pointers per game at NC State as a freshman last season in the ACC. Uh, That is a ridiculous number for that level, for being as young as he is because he's a young freshman in that league. It goes to show how impactful I think he can be, particularly as like a sixth man shot creator in the NBA, which at this point in the draft, like that's kind of what I'm looking for. Needs to improve as a finisher, but I think he has real potential as a finisher because of his uh, twitchiness. Like he has this ability to explode. He's gotten a lot of recognition for like going up for like left-handed dunks despite being a right-handed shooter. I think he has enough bounce and hang time to be able to figure out how to adjust around the basket. Um, I'm a believer. And the guys that they've brought in, they have to replace 17 points a game from Darion Sebron last year. They have to replace uh, real production. I think there's a good chance Terquavion Smith averages like 25 points a game this year or something like absolutely crazy for NC State. They're going to play up-tempo under Kevin Keats. They're going to have to give him the ball because, God, who else are you going to give it to? And I think he is going to be a monster, monster shot creator for NC State this year. So I've gone to Quavion Smith at 18 out of NC State. Yep, I get it. Again, we're talking about sixth-man guards here, so when you can come in off the bench and be a microwave scorer, the issue for Terquavion last year on the offensive end was his finishing. He just wasn't great at converting near the hoop, but he's got the athletic burst, and he's got this little bit of hang time finishing that you mentioned that you can buy into the skill. So as a specialty player at this point and, and somebody who can just pop off at any moment, definitely understand it. Okay, you're up at number 19. Yeah. I'm going to go high upside swing here. I'm going to go with Khalil Ware at Oregon. Um, Yep. That was my next pick as well. You know, yeah, I just, I think this is about the time when if I'm not in love with any role players being predictably on the court and being a a solid rotation guy, I'd rather go with the upside swing. I think it's John Hollinger who has this theory that there's about 20 to 23 guys in any given draft class that end up sticking in the NBA long term. So as we get closer to that mark, We've got to make that decision. Do we make the upside swing or do we go with a reliable guy? Uh, I'm going upside here with Khalil Ware because the upside is massive. He's a seven-foot big man who can protect the rim, really fluid athletically, and has shown confidence to create his own on the offensive step out to three. How consistently he shows those, what his motor looks like, how good of shape he's going to be in cardiovascularly, all remains to be seen. Um, But just in terms of the tools and the confidence that he brings to the table, I think he's worthy of being a first-round pick. 
and I'm going to take the swing here. Yeah, all of that's right. It's just a production question versus talent question with him, right? Uh, the production has never been quite as high level as the talent would anticipate with Kalel Ware. And he is all the upside in the world. It, like his fluidity athletically at seven foot is ridiculous. Exactly. Like he should yeah. be able to really turn it on this year to where he should be their guy, but they also have Nefali Dante at the center position this year. I would imagine that Ware ends up playing like decent amount of the four, but like they have Quincy Garrier, whose best position is the four. They, they're Oregon's pretty deep. Like Oregon is a top 25 team this year. So how much time does Ware get? How much string does he get to continue to showcase that, you know, he can really play. He's someone that needs to get reps as much as anything. And is Oregon yeah, going to be yeah. willing to work through the growing pains? I'll be interested to see what it looks like early on in Pac-12 play, because I think that's going to be the pivot point. Or maybe he's just great and is ready to go from the jump. But if he's not, early in Pac-12 play, I think it's going to be the pivot point where we find out just how great he is as a player. Okay. I am up at number 20. Number 20. I am going to go Nikola Juricic which is a guy that I think you wanted with your next pick. So I'm just going to ruin you here. Um, Okay. Nikola Jurisic is like six foot eight. I'm kind of calling him a hybrid between Boyan and Bogdan Bogdanovich almost. He's not quite the shooter that Boyan is, but he's a much better ball handler. He's not quite the ball handler that Bogdan is where he can run kind of a credible point, especially for second units, but he can be a real secondary ball handler. You and I are both believers in Jurisic being able to shoot. If I remember correctly, the numbers again, haven't really showcased it at any point, but he is someone that the jumper looks great. He takes a ton of tough shots, which I think brings the number down is he gets more open shots by playing with better players, guys that aren't 20 and 21 years old. I think it's actually really going to help the numbers for him as a primary playmaker. He was absolutely terrific in their game against OTE, Amin and Sir Thompson. Uh, I thought he was the second best player on the court. Uh, behind Amin Thompson. So uh, Jurisic, I have many questions defensively. Uh, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but offensively he has positional size, playmaking, shooting ability uh, that NBA teams look for. So I've gone with Jurisic at number 20. Solid pick there. Thank you for stealing my guy and leaving me in a tough situation here because I'm looking at the board at 21 and I'm not finding a ton of guys that I'm in love with right here. <laughs> I think this is where the drop-off is starting to come for me. Uh, I'm just going to go with another high upside swing here at a position that I think is always really, really hard to predict, whether it's going to be an ultimate boom or an ultimate bust, and that's these athletic, non-shooting kind of wing-forward types. So I'm, uh, I'm going to do it here. I'm going to bite the bullet and go Dylan Mitchell from Texas. That that was my next just, pick as well, for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got I've got questions, Sam. I've got questions on the offensive end of the floor about what he does well in the half court and how he's going to develop this year. I, okay, so so here's here's my question. Yeah, Texas is going to get bludgeoned on the glass, regardless of what they do, <laughs> right? Like they they just don't have any bigs really, other than Dylan Disu, no. and Disu is like not a great rebounder. Uh, for right. the Big 12 level, at least. Is there a chance that they just play Dylan Mitchell at the five and just let it rock? I, I 
think there has to be a chance. Like, I don't, is Chris Beard going to be that inventive and, and unorthodox in a lot of those ways? We'll see. Like, I, I think offensively that would fit well for Mitchell to be like this yeah. pogo stick screen and roll finisher, put him in the dunker spot and just have him catch lobs a ton of the time. Like, to me, that's the best way to utilize him. And look, we can all sit here and rattle off ways that non-shooters and slashers can find their way to be effective in a half-court off- offense. 45 cuts, backdooring out of the corner, go attack the offensive glass. But you can only have one of those guys on the court at a time, maybe, right. Sam. It's just the margin for error here is really, really, really thin. And I've just, I haven't seen enough on the offensive end where I feel comfortable Freak athlete has the potential. Unbelievable to be a, athlete. Unbelievable athlete has the potential to be a great defender when he's he uses that. But it's the offense for me. Um, th- this is this is a pure upside flyer for me at this point. Yeah, and it's one that I don't mind. I, I will be interested to see if they play him at the five occasionally. Like, do you roll out a lineup of like two of their three guards, uh, Timmy Allen and Serge Barry Rice? And then, like, play Dylan Mitchell at the five over Christian Bishop. Um, you know, Christian Bishop's six foot seven, undersized guard himself. And, like, there are reports kind of that Dylan Mitchell might be like six foot eight, six foot nine, as opposed to six foot seven, like we thought he was coming in. If he's that, it obviously changes the calculus a little bit more. Um, you can play him with Dylan Disu as well. Dylan Disu can shoot a little bit. So you could play like a combo four five role there. I like Dylan Mitchell as like a guy who can grab rebounds, lead the break, attack, do things like that. I just don't know um, what the skill level is outside of that, especially in the half court. He seems like someone that you're going to have to hide early in his career at the very least. And and the the defense better be great if he's going to be able – if you're going to have to do that. He better be a great defender. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go at number – what am I up to? I am up to number, I believe, 22. I'm going to go Chris Murray at 22 out of Iowa. And Chris Murray to me is just someone that I buy into, is someone that's going to be able to play in the NBA pretty quickly. You know, six foot eight, good defender, uh, real athleticism, just as athletic as his brother, and then can really shoot it, you know, shoot – Shot 39% from three last year. Doesn't have the ball skills that Keegan has. He's not going to be that kind of guy. But I think he is going to be someone that's going to be able to average 14, 15 points a game while playing high-level defense at six foot eight, knocking down shots. And those guys, they tend to go somewhere in the 20 to 40 range. Yep. Uh, I just I want to thank you again for taking the next guy on my board. Like yeah, it's it's simple. Fail safe right here, Sam. You, you just keep doing it to me. So thank you. Oh, 23. Who am I going to go with here? This is still another tough one. Um, oh, how about this? Let's go Marcus Sasser from Houston. Okay. Marcus Sasser. Yeah, I don't mind this at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, disruptive point of attack defender. He's undersized. He's a smaller point guard, but he proved at the G League Combine last year, even when coming back from injury, that this is a guy who belongs on a professional basketball court in some regard. Uber confident on the offensive side of the floor. Pretty much everything is from 18 feet and out. Good pull-up score, deep range from three, can hit movement shots and play off ball. If you're a smaller point guard, I like guys who can play off ball and spot up in the corners because as we've seen, the NBA is trending more towards 
size and skill, which means primary options and creators are going to be six foot seven or above. If you're not going to be this elite scoring guard at six one, six two, then you better be able to shoot 40% from three. And I think Sasser has the ability to do that while being that pit bull Javon Carter esque disruptive point of attack defender, like insane at disrupting ball screens avoids contact at all times. He's a pest. And as a specialty kind of off the bench type of guy with a winning pedigree, I think you can do a lot worse. So Marcus Sasser for me. I don't mind that pick. I will go at number 24 now. Uh, I, I love Sasser, you know, great defender, pesty, great shooter, great scorer, you know, perfect, perfect player here at number 20. What, what did you take him? 23. Yeah. So 24, I'm up. I'm going Ryan Rupert for the New Zealand breakers, six foot five to six foot six exceptional length. We're talking like a seven foot two wingspan and he makes plays with it right now on the court uh, for the breakers. He played a little bit better in the preseason than he has uh, thus far for the breakers in the regular season over here in Australia, but he's been able to carve out like a fairly reasonable rotation role where he started quite a few games for them. He's only shooting, you know, 35% from the field or something. And it's largely because the shot hasn't totally come around yet, but you look at his ability to make the right play as a passer. I think he does that at a pretty high level. He's just an impact player defensively at like a pretty real level over here. Uh, I think that a team has a pretty real shot somewhere in the top 40. Uh, maybe he goes in the first round. Maybe he doesn't. He's someone that really should be stashed. I think more so than yeah. like be yeah. a guy who comes over to the NBA immediately, but like he's shown enough of a disruptive level given his frame to where I think that an NBA team will probably take him somewhere in the top 45 and just say, let's figure this out. Right. Um, yep. And see if he can make an impact in some way, shape or form. Yep. And, and tough news, I believe, that came out earlier today or, or yesterday about suffering a, a broken wrist and just going to be out for a period of time there. So we'll see how that disrupts his season. But like he again, he's shown enough of intrigue with his length defensive ability that I think even if he misses this time and, and is out for a substantial period, he's still intriguing enough to be that top 45 guy. Yeah, I think that's right. And you know, we'll, we'll see. Like the the wrist break, like could stop him from being a first round pick. To be honest, yeah. Um, yeah. Just because, again, like he hasn't shown quite enough offensively where like you buy into it. No. But the way that he's been able to disrupt defensively, the length, the athleticism, the positional size, positional length, I think there's a real chance that someone takes a flyer. It just depends on what his pre draft process is going to be able to look like because of the injury. Yep. No, I think that's I think that's very fair. Okay, twenty five now. Yep. 25. Um, I'm going to go with an upperclassman guy, somebody that I did not come into this thinking I would take in the first round, but some thinking about the teams that typically draft from 25 to 30. It's those who are maybe hoping to get one guy that they can plug in and play a few minutes on a championship caliber team. It's rare for a rookie to be somebody who steps into that role permanently but if you can squeeze some minutes out of somebody earlier on in, your, in their career, it's a huge win for those teams. And that's why I'm taking Jaime Jaquez from UCLA here, the later part of the first. Uh, very solid, dependable, smart help defender. I don't know what his main position is going to be on ball on the defensive side of the NBA level, but 
he's competitive enough and smart enough as a helper to be able to mitigate any of the concerns that he might have at the point of attack. Good catch and shoot prospect, not great, but good smart, crafty scorer, Sam. Like I just, I love watching a guy like him play on a bench unit for an NBA team. When you need just a little bit of a scoring punch and somebody who's not going to make many mistakes. I think Hawkes stands out as a guy that just is fun basketball player. Let's take him. I love him. I love his defense. I love his motor. I love his aggressiveness, his energy. He's a leader. He's just across the board like a great dude that you want to buy into. Um, I am up here at number 26. And at number 26, I'm going to go Deron Holmes out of Dayton. And folks should go watch the tape breakdown I did with Deron uh, earlier this week uh, or last week, I guess. Great dude, really high level energy, really sharp kid, emotionally intelligent human being. Um, more than that, though, he just kind of ticks a lot of boxes that you look for in a modern big. Uh, can guard away from the basket, really high level contester and shot blocker on jump shots. Uh, very high level rim protector. Uh, very good rebounder. Could work on being able to establish his position a little bit better, but has improved his strength level over the course of the last year to the point where I think he's probably going to be a little bit better in that regard this year. Uh, really high level passer that I think he didn't get enough credit for last year. Ultimately, he just is six foot 10. Like that's really the only flaw in him that I see. I even buy that he's going to shoot it at some point. He's just six foot 10 and that makes it a little bit tricky, but. I'm a believer in Deron Holmes. I think he averages something like 17 points, 10 rebounds, two and a half assists, two blocks this year. And if that happens, he will be damn near an All-American for a Dayton team that uh, is going to be very, very good. I get it. Go watch the uh, the film session that Sam did, folks. It's awesome. A really, really good job. And, and Deron is, is a fun guy. Seems like a really fun guy to be around. We want him in yeah. my locker room. High energy. Yeah. Okay, this is 27 for me. Uh, I'm going to go with a little bit more of that positional flyer um, that just size and a little bit of skill, but defensive toughness. Arthur Kaluma from Creighton here at the later part of the first round. You know, I, I want to see the shooting and, and the, the jumper continue to improve. There were signs in the spring and going into the summer that it was moving in a positive direction. I'm willing to bet on that and hope that it comes around this season. And if it, it does, a really long, toolsy kind of four-man at the NBA level. I think defense is going to be his calling card. Good mismatch type of score when he drives it to the basket, but a little bit more about like craft and pump fakes and up-and-unders than he is just bursty playing above the rim. If the jump shot can be sustainable to a solid level as a catch-and-shoot guy, I think he has a future in the NBA. Okay. At number 28, I am up to. I'm going to go Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut. And I have some concerns about Jordan Hawkins as a ball handler uh, and as a passer and as someone who can, like, even in the half court, can he dribble twice in a row without, like, you know, having to reset the offense or turn it over, right? But he is a 40% three-point shooter on high volume this year, I think, who can be a high-level defender. 
And those guys are harder to find than you think the more that you do this, uh, especially guys that can be like genuine 40% shooters off of movement. And I believe Jordan Hawkins has a chance to do that at some point in his NBA career. Uh, I think he might shoot seven threes a game this year uh, for Connecticut. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. He's someone that is a really, really high level knockdown shooter off of movement. So I'm going Jordan Hawkins at number 28. Damn you, Vecini. Uh, I do what I can to ruin your life. Every time. 6'5 and long arm can defend one through three as a a result of that, I think, uh, because he can be physical and kind of guard up. I like Jordan Hawkins, man. That's a a good find on your end. (sighs) Last pick for me, right? 29, last pick. So I got to take somebody I really like and somebody that I want to talk about here and send it home. So it's going to be the Adam Spinella sleeper special judah mints at syracuse i I think another one of those potential one and done guys that sneaks into the draft there's always one of them right somebody who's ranked outside the top 25 or 30 as an incoming freshman that just puts up great numbers and is able to prove to scouts that he belongs in the nba as an investable prospect from day one judah mints has all of the offensive tools to be a really good scorer he's underrated in terms of athleticism burst near the basket very very crafty and confident finisher love of the mid-range pull-up think he can stretch that out to three and even play off ball a little bit decent enough size at maybe six three almost six four uh he's going to have the opportunity this year at syracuse to put up numbers i i do believe in that how efficient he is and how a playmaker he is for others is going to go a long way in determining whether he is more of a one and done type of prospect and sneaking into that top 30 or top 45, as opposed to being a multi-year college guy. Okay. So the guy that I'm going to go with to end it is again, someone that I just want to talk about at the end of the day. Um, I I have him more in the 40 range, but it's just someone And I think this is an interesting team we're talking about. I'm going to go Trey Alexander out of Creighton. I consistently keep getting told that Trey Alexander looks like the guy there. Um, Looks like the guy to watch. Like everyone was excited about Kaluma and Kaluma, you know, has kind of, I guess, been, I don't want to say like he's, there's been, he hasn't been on the court quite as much because I think there might be like just a very, very minor like thing going on with his maybe knee or something. Don't aggregate this. I'm not informed enough, but the scouts there have talked more about his, um, have talked more about Trey Alexander than they have Arthur Kaluma is the point of this. They've talked more about Trey Alexander, even than Ryan Kalkbrenner. And by the way, I think Ryan Kalkbrenner has like a fairly real chance to go in the first round, the more that I think about it. And Ryan Kalkbrenner is going to be maybe the best rim protector in the country this year. There's a lot of Walker Kessler there if he can shoot threes. Um, I am a big Ryan Kalkbrenner fan, but I think Trey Alexander is the guy. He's an elite level point of attack defender. He's a great slasher, great ball handler, attacks the rim. Uh, If he shoots it, it really comes down to the jumper. If he shoots it at a high level and averages like 15 points, five rebounds, four assists per game, like I think he's genuinely capable of, while leading Creighton is like a top seven team in the country, which I think they are. Yeah. Uh, Trey Alexander is going to have a good shot to go in the first round at the end of the day. I am a believer. I'm high on him. 
I don't know that I would say first round right now for Trey Alexander, but I wanted to talk about him. So I'm going to go 30th Trey Alexander here. There it is. I think Creighton's just that damn good, Sam, that we can finally talk about them having this many prospects and guys that can really go off and, and change, not just the course of their college season, but really allow them to play deep into March. Uh, I've heard similar things. I know you and I talk about Trey a lot. Like I love his game. I thought he looked like their most competent guard in the NCAA tournament last year and a guy that like was on my preseason radar of watch out for this kid. I'm excited to see if that comes to fruition because he's he's a really smooth player. Yeah, I agree. Is there anyone else you wanted to bring up very briefly? Um, you know, I think Adem Bona at UCLA is yes. one guy that I've heard some good things about, um, you know, similarly to when you talked about Deron Holmes, like I think there's just a little bit of a size thing with Bona at like six nine, six ten, playing more of that five position that I'm not sure how to buy into. We, we didn't talk about any of the other G League Ignite guys, City Sissoko or Leonard Miller. Uh, I, I guess I just have concerns about how they play off ball next to a star that will either get revealed or uh, really be troublesome throughout the season. And I guess last for me would be Caleb Love at North Carolina. Like if he explodes and is able to be yeah. consistently adding another level to his game, he's just too good of a shooter to leave out of the late first round conversation. Yeah, I agree. Amari Bailey is another guy that I think we should bring up. Um, yeah. yeah, I've heard good things about him as a slasher at UCLA. I think he's going to play quite a bit. Julian Strother, good scorer, yeah. Gonzaga on the wing. Um I really like Terrence Arsenault. I don't know if it's going to be 2023 or 24 for him. Grady Dick had a really good first exhibition for Kansas. Um, let's see here. Who else? All of the bigs. Drew Timmy, Oscar Shibway, Armando Baycott, Hunter Dickinson, uh, Trace Jackson Davis. There are quite a number of them. Uh, who, who else? Who else? Who else? Uh, yeah, Mike Matthew Miles Cleveland, maybe. is going to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mike Miles. Uh, I dig the Mike Miles call out. Um, Colby Jones at Xavier. I'm a big Colby Jones fan. I just don't totally know what that is going to look like there, kind of. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe. He you know, if, if Harrison Ingram, if Harrison Ingram can shoot it, I mean, he's a guy that I'd be intrigued by, but that's a big what if. Sure. Tyrese Hunter, I've heard, looks really good shooting the basketball. Right now, and if he's a shooter, that yeah. changes things a little bit. Um, yeah, no, the, I mean, we mentioned Jordan Walsh earlier as a guy that's a freshman at Arkansas that's you know, super athletic and an energy giver. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it, once you get down into this level, this is something I talked about in the last episode, man. Like, I, I have some questions about the depth right now of this yeah. class. Um, th- th- this really might be typically I can get excited about like 40 guys, whereas Hollinger is like excited about 20 of them. Uh, when I talk to John, uh, this year I might be more in John's boat, uh, the way it's shaping up. Yeah, I know we've, we talked about that on the last pod. Like we'll see how the depth of this freshman class is, because I think that's going to go a long way in determining the depth of the overall draft class. If there are a ton of freshmen that are ready to come in and be, you know, closer to, if not first round guys right away, then I think this yep. ends up being a fairly deep class, but all of the talent in college basketball are smaller point guards or true big men. And that's just not a congruent fit to where the NBA game is going right now. 
which leaves the door wide open for anybody from like this 25 to 60 range to really sneak in there just as a, a toolsy type of flyer specialty player who fits more of the NBA style of side skill and shooting nowadays that, you know, we'll find out more over the next few months who ends up being that guy. Uh, like you're saying like 25 to 60, you could like really rise up. I would go way off the board even like I've heard really good things, for instance, about like Jalen Tyson at Texas Tech. Like if Jalen Tyson averages like 16 points a game or something like that as Texas Tech's primary scorer and shoots threes in the way that people think and can defend at a high level within that scheme, like there are so many there. This early season portion of what we do is going to be so dependent upon just like getting guys, getting eyes on as many people as possible and seeing what's out there. This is all early this season about trying to identify interesting players. Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, to find, to get eyes on everyone, because I think that the the world has to be so much more open this year, even than it has been previously. You always have to be very uh, open and willing to consider players every single year. But this year, particularly, I think you really have to go hunting to find guys yeah. um, like a Jalen Williams at Santa Clara to, you know, potentially be a, a real lottery option or to be a real top 20 option, even in this class. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very astute. Like, a, you know, if we're going really deep, like I hear good things about Zach Hicks at Temple. Taking yep, a good stride totally. as a sophomore, being a, a really good catch and shoot three point threat. If he can put the ball on the floor and defend, that's a win. Like I like Jaden Gardner at Virginia because I thought he did the best job against Paolo Bancaro one on one last year. If he can be that defensive yeah. piece, that's going to have value. We saw that with Herb Jones being able to step in right away in the NBA. Like, look how well Paolo Bancaro is doing, and he had real trouble with Gardner at Virginia last year. So like there are specialty guys that we've seen in some area that I like that I'm intrigued by. And there are going to be so many more that we get our eyes open to over the next four or five months. It's going to be a super fun draft cycle. Totally agree. Couldn't be more excited. Spins. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on uh, with you. Yeah. uh, Just released a, first 12 game video breakdown on Victor Wembenyama over on our YouTube channel, Adam Spinella, you know, the college basketball season is starting now. So going to be having a lot more you know, quick hitters about some games and prospects that we see and come across on that end. But follow me on Twitter at the box and one underscore or our Substack page, the box and one dot Substack.com. Sam, I'd like to thank you for having me on for my first ever Game Theory Pod mock draft and give you a special shout for taking all of my mid to late first round picks one spot before I could snack. <laughs> yeah, you got the you got the first pick, man. You could have taken everyone before I, I wanted them. You, you had the leverage here, buddy. <laughs> this is true. No, uh, this was super fun. We'll do this again probably in like a month or so. Uh, just to kind of see where the lay of the land has settled after a month of college basketball play. Uh, I'm trying to think who and what else you need to know. I will have written forms of all of the tape watch alongs I've done. I did four of them in the preseason. Um, you know, Drew Timmy will go up on Monday. There will be one more that goes up on Wednesday, I believe. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've got coming. I have a top 50 newcomers piece on Monday for college basketball to talk about within the tip off of college basketball here. 
I believe that's all that I will have this week written wise podcast. There will be one with Schindler coming up at some point this week and then another one. I don't know what I'll talk about on that other one necessarily yet. Uh, could be college, could be NBA, but a lot of this week is going to be spent with me watching college basketball to try and get eyes on guys. Speaking of college basketball, though, I will now take you to my conversation with Drew Timmy. If you're watching on YouTube, this is the end of the show. Uh, but if you're listening on the podcast feed, you will now be able to hear my conversation with Drew Timmy. Thanks. All right. I'm here with Drew Timmy, six foot 10 Gonzaga, big man. I have a long list of accolades to reach out. WCC All-Freshman Team, WCC All-Tournament Team three times, two-time first-team All-WCC player, an All-NCAA Tournament Team member back in 2021, last year's WCC Player of the Year, last year's Carl Malone Award winner, a National Player of the Year finalist, and a two-time consensus All-American. Drew, your cabinet is full. Is there anything else sitting on your cabinet that I forgot? I think you covered it all. I don't even know everything that I've gotten, but <laughs> it sounds about I was right. going to say, is is there a point where, like, you just kind of rack them up and you're just like, oh, yeah, this is cool? Like, at what point does it become – do you become numb to it? It's just something for my parents to have, not me at this point in life right now. So <laughs> I kind of just let them deal with all that. That's amazing. So the goal here, obviously, is we're going to break down tape with you today. We're going to talk about some of the things that you do really, really well, some of the things that you've been questioned on for in the past. Uh, nothing too crazy, honestly. But before we dive into that, I wanted to talk to you about your process last year because you had to make an incredibly difficult decision in terms of whether or not you were going to go pro or if you were going to return to Gonzaga. And you went through the process. I believe you were the last person to announce whether or not you were staying in the draft or going pro. Was that just a matter of suspense because you wanted to, you know, save it till the last minute just to build that, build that decision or, you know, was it really a challenge for you to make that call? Yeah. Well, contrary to popular, popular belief, it really was a decision that took that long to make just because it was so hard for me to make. I, uh, Got home from Golden State the day of the de- the deadline, around on like twelve something. I don't really remember, but uh, I just I needed a minute to just decompress, not think about it. I just went to go play Xbox with my brother. I was just like, I've done so much traveling, so many workouts, interviews, basketball, just talks with everyone. I was like, I'm done. I need a yeah. I need a little bit of time to compress because. It is so long, and I was so ready for it just to just cease to part and just to have an answer. And I was like, I don't want to make a rational irrational decision right now. Just kind of take a minute, step back from everything, get my thoughts and everything together, and then um, yeah, I kind of just have my set on my family, talk to the coaches and everything, and kind of just went from there. But it did, it really did take a while, and it really was a close decision for me, and it was a difficult one, but. I think I'm, I've made the right decision. My heart's happy. I'm happy. And I uh, kind of be uh, more proud of just how the situation was handled and how we went about it. I feel like people don't recognize how big of a month that is for NBA prospects, just in terms of logistics, in terms of travel, 
How many cities did you have to travel to from, let's say, the start of May until you had to make your decision at the end of May? I would imagine it's probably like 11 or something, right? Yeah, I think I did seven or eight workouts, then the combine too. So, I mean, I was probably on the lower end of workouts too compared to most people. So, yeah, it was a lot. But, uh, I mean, that's what it takes, and that's part of the job at hand. So, it's kind of just one of those things you have to do. What was the thing in the end that most pulled you back to Gonzaga? Yeah, I think, honestly, it's just really I could – to me, it came down to I could work on the things in the league. I can work on the things in college, basically. Because mm-hmm. either way, I had to work on the certain things that I felt like I needed to work on and get better at. And I was like, on this end, I can do it here. And, you know, it could work out. It could not work out. But also, you could get you get cut, wave, whatever, you know, if you don't get it right away. Or you can go to college, you know, work on it keep developing, keep playing a lot and also get your degree and even make some more money. So at the end of the day, it just, it was the better decision for me personally. And then this will be kind of the last point here, but one of the things that I kind of mentioned when you made your decision was the idea of legacy for you. You know, you're, you're someone that, you know, you could be by the end of this year, you know, who knows a three-time all American, you could be, a national player of the year at Gonzaga. You could be X, Y, and Z, all of these things. But most importantly, you could be the first player that helps, at the very least, bring a title to Gonzaga. How much was that a factor that weighed into your analysis? Uh, to be honest, not at all, really. Not at all? It's, yeah. I mean, it's something, that's, it, it's something that's really cool, don't get me wrong. Like, it's super cool to even be in the conversation for things like that, but... You like for a decision like that that's so life changing and altering, you can't put emotions and feelings into something like that because if you do that, then you could. I feel like I would have made like a wrong decision or something irrational, not taking all the facts in because there's pros and cons of both. And if if I look at something out of purely emotion or purely money, it's like, am I really making the right decision? So I just took all that stuff away so I could make the decision that I felt best with, regardless of what happens. Because just because you make a decision doesn't mean everything's going to happen perfectly like that. So basically, yeah. No, I, I love it. I think that's really, really smart, to be honest. But let, let's kind of dive into the tape here because uh, this is this is where the fun stuff starts. So let, let's go with the first clip. My favorite thing about your game, Drew, I feel like you get you know plaudits for the post-up game, the footwork, all of the things you've heard previously. I actually just love your pick and roll game. Gonzaga's attack is obviously so pick and roll heavy. You guys run that ball screen continuity offense and you're just such an important linchpin of it. And particularly, I love your short roll pick and roll game, your ability to catch the ball at the foul line and make decisions essentially based off of that. So we're going to watch a clip here. You're going to come up. You're going to set a screen for Andrew, and you're just going to essentially not even wait for him to go around it. You're just going to – it's not really a slip, but it's just a, you're, you're leaving early, and he sees this little pocket pass for you, and you're going to pound dribble, and you're going to go straight through the chest of the guy in front of you. What are you seeing on plays like this where you know you're deciding to short roll? How are you deciding to leave early? What is your processing process, for lack of a better term, in plays like this? Yeah, well, if you see when I start to go up, the guard, he get, they get in an ice position and the big gets under the point guard. So right before I set the guard, 
the guard literally shuts off that lane for him to use the ball screen. He's pointed the big to get down. So right away, you already have a little pocket of space right there. And also, I have a straight lane because the, the big is obviously going to be on my side because he's playing the lane so the point guard can't go down there. So that's just kind of a cue for me to find that pocket right but right there where he passed the ball right between the guard and the big. And I know I have the, an advantage, especially because USF doesn't really stun out of the strong, the weak side corner is heavy. So I know right away I have a clear lane. All I got to do is just muscle him up a little bit just to get him off balance, and I can just get to an easy uh, right-hand layup. And obviously the big thing for you is just your comfort handling the ball, right? You're a six foot ten guy that can absolutely put the ball on the deck. Like not every big is capable of executing something like this. That's what makes you as special as you are, not only in terms of the footwork, but actually just the comfort, being able to put the ball on the deck once or twice and make a decision while still being able to process all of that in your head. How did that kind of skill set develop for you? over the course of your career? Uh, well, my dad was always big on versatility. He played uh, at SMU and overseas for a little bit. So he was always just like, why limit yourself to doing one thing? And then I also used to play point guard back in the day a little bit too in like junior high and high school and stuff. So, I mean, I think I've always just kind of been able to read the game and, and make the right play most of the time. You know, obviously there's times I don't, but uh, – <laughs> I think just I think like doing that stuff when I was younger and everything really just kind of translates to now just being able to read the game out of whatever situation you're kind of thrown in. So and this one is going to be a second short roll action here where, you know, you're going to come up, you're going to do the DHO here and then you're going to flip the screen. I'd imagine that that flip is a set play for you guys, right? No, nah, uh, the nice no? thing about our, nah, that's just kind of just how they guarded it, what happened. And it's kind of just a read at the top. I look down at my partner. He's not down there. And then he kind of just, you know, will you run that back a little bit? I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I just come over. He just shoots right under. So if he goes under, especially on a guy, is that Rossier? Yeah, Rossier, like, if it's not a shot, I'm flipping it because he's so fast. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to get – just flip it because he went under to give him the guard a better angle to drive and – Obviously, it's hard to guard one ball screen. It's hard, even harder to guard two ball screens. So just getting that big moving more and stuff just makes it easier to get him open. And then when he gets open, then it gets me open as well. So, and like you said, he goes under the DHO, but he actually tries to go over the ball, the ball screen here that you're running after you flip it. And you just set a monster screen. And this is one of another one of my favorite skills for you is just you are a very, very good screen setter. You always try to make contact. What are some of the little tricks and tools that go underrated in terms of making a good screen setter? Well, I think knowing when to screen and when not to screen is important. Like, he goes under, so then I make sure to, like, get lower on the court on my second screen so he has to go over the screen. Because if you go under that second time, you see my bottom foot's almost to the elbow. I mean, that is, what is that, six six feet of separation almost for one of the it's best going shooters. straight up for Rasir. Yeah. yeah. He shot like 50% last year. So just making, making him go over, and then I kind of leaned into it a little bit. Not going outside of my frame, but yep. just a little bit enough just to hit him a little bit to give him that little extra second of separation to make the big have to commit and help. 
Because if you set a good screen, it just it gets you open at the end of the day because that's going to cause help because the ball's the most important thing to stop. So the better screen you set, the more likely you are to get the ball. So <laughs> I, I absolutely love that you said that contact makes it more likely for you to get open at the end of the day because that big just has to commit to the guard and then you get the defense in rotation. And that's exactly what happens here. Great pocket pass from this receiver. And then this is another one of my favorite skills of yours, just this short roll floater. This is something you've added over the course of your career. And it's just such an important skill set, not only at Gonzaga where you've used it to great effect, but as you're moving up to other levels, such as the NBA, such as Europe, wherever you end up, right? That's a long way in the future. But this is just the way to beat drop coverage defenders, isn't it? Like this is the easiest way. You look at the way guards use it. You look at the way bigs use it across the league. It's just such an effective tool. And you hit this shot in an incredibly high clip. How did you go about developing this little short roll floater that you have? Well, always playing against my dad and stuff when I was younger. Like he would never take it easy on me. And then he'd always, he'd always make me play up. So I was playing against bigger, stronger dudes. And, you know, I just had to find other ways to score. And I credit that to how I use my creative, like, under underarms finishes, like floaters. I just had to find different ways to score. And I think just doing those things, it just becomes such a keystone part of my game. And I think it's something that only will help me, obviously, at the next level. Like you said, it just it's, doesn't take a lot of effort to shoot a floater. You don't got to back anyone down. Just a quick, efficient, <laughs> easy bucking and – just practicing it every single day as well. Just try to make it as much muscle memory as possible. Yeah. And when we get to the post clips, I want to talk to you just about balance and maintaining all of that. But like, this is a great example of it. You just hit that little two foot jump stop and you look, you're going straight up and down right here. It's just so, it's so efficient in terms of the energy transfer. It's everything there is so clean. Right. And this is why I think that, Long term, I, I really buy you as a jump shooter. The, the touch and everything, it's just so natural for you. You made a couple of jump shots last year at Gonzaga, but for me, it always felt like at Gonzaga, you were shooting on the way down, right? Like mm-hmm. that, you're kind of, br- you're kind of bringing it up, you're holding it, and then you're shooting it on the way down on your jump. But then you look at, you know, I pulled some tape from the NBA draft combine where you were just smoldering hot and you dropped four threes in this one game. The energy transfer looks a lot cleaner. You're not shooting it on your way down. Is that something that you really worked on throughout the course of the pre-draft process? A lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would just get stuck, just like hold on the ball too long. So then I'd run out of arm to really get that arc on my shot. So sometimes it'd be like kind of a laser beam and just, you know, getting that continual flow and rhythm, just kind of finding, getting comfortable with that out there it really has made all the difference. Like at the combine, like I felt, I felt really comfortable. That's a tough shot off balance, having to plant and change and shift your body weight. And you got to go straight up. Cause you are leaning, like just get, working on that continual flow and just comfortability out there. Like that's something I've really been working on, continuing to work on. Cause it is something that you have to have in order to play at the next level. And I mean, obviously I still need a lot of work in it, but it's something that I think is trending upwards for me and just going to be a, be a weapon for me in the future. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you's going to love me saying this, but like, I would feel good about you taking threes right now. You know what I mean? Like I, I would feel good about you guys running slip actions like this, 
you being able to plant your feet and just go. I, I mean, I'm not going to ask you if you're going to do that often this year. Cause I'm sure that those are <laughs> internal secrets that uh, I don't want to call from uh coach after the game here or after we're done here, but it, it just feels like this is something that can be very natural for you, even if you're still working through it uh, at a high level. Yeah, no, a coach has all the confidence in the world in me. I think, even last year, it was just my confidence in myself. I just felt way mm. more comfortable just down low, and it was something I was like, "I'm not. I'm scoring at will for the most part down there. Why stop?" So you know, like, just been working on continuous to like look to shoot first because I'm shooting the ball so much better and stuff. So yeah, if it's there, he has all the confidence in the world in me. But I mean, obviously, I got to post up and do that because that's my bread and butter. Yeah. Not getting away from that by any means, but. Having that there is a serious weapon, and it's definitely something that coach is more than happy with because I put the work in, and he sees the confidence, and he he has he believes in me more than anyone. Well, and like at the end of the day, too, if you make you know maybe ten percent of teams switch that action more often than you know try and play drop against you and just end up with the big on you, and then you have to roll into a post up against a big, it's going to create more mismatches for you on the block just having that shot at the end of the day. Yeah. Just another, another dimension to this already (laughs) multidimensional offense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this next one here, we're going to talk about your passing. I I really, really love what you can do as a passer. This is going to be the short roll action. Again, you just immediately see that this is a tagger who's pinching in off of a shooter. This is a very good shooter here. (laughs) What's happening here. What are you reading? Well, kind of just knowing the tendencies of BYU, especially they love, especially when I'm in the short roll, they love to just come and try and take the ball from me. They've they've taken it a couple times from me before, but uh, just knowing that they really like to stun out of that that weak side corner, just I know I know that the guy in the corner is going to be wide open or he's going to cut for a layup usually. So just I didn't even want to dribble. I just knew right. It's kind of predetermined. I kind of just saw in the corner of my eye him put his weight forward so I knew he couldn't change direction and just had to make sure I threw it over his arms that were reaching for the ball. It's one of those deals, too, where, again, you leave a little bit early on the screen, which makes it just really hard for the big defender in this drop to recover back onto you. With the way the court is set up, you know, maybe you could say that this backside guy, number five, who's guarding Chet in the dunker spot should be the rotational man, but, like, that's an easy floater for you. That's an easy lane to the basket for you. Even if that guy comes, it's a significant strength mismatch. Like I, part of me almost thinks that like this guy probably had to tag up and stunt from the corner, uh, at least on some level, you know, try to frustrate you in some way because just, you know, did you immediately read that you just had that lane or is it just like automatic predetermined for you to make this pass? No, nothing's predetermined. I just, you just know that what a team's tendency is. So yep. you just know, you just assume most likely what they're going to do. So I would just say like, it just makes it more conscious for me to like look to pass first in the situation. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we're going to get to this next one here, which, you know, you're going to run this ball screen. You're going to throw it to the corner entry pass from Chet. And this is the thing that I love here. So you're going to immediately look to that dunker spot cutting i believe that's julian i can't quite Mm -hmm. tell by the uh 
number on the jersey, but I believe that's Julian. He's cutting to the darker spot. But you see you don't have the angle here for the pass because I believe that's Patrick Tappe, very long defender, six foot ten, mm-hmm. long arms, um, has come down and cut that off. And you just process it. You just work through your reads here, and you're going to find Andrew for the wide open three. And again, that's just money in the bank because Andrew really, really improved over the course of his career at Gonzaga as a shooter. So what are what are your reads here as you're kind of processing all of these things at once on the court? Yeah, well, that guy's behind me, so I know i got to eat that space up between the defender because the more space I can take up, the more eyes are going to be on me. And I will say I do attract a lot of attention from defenses. You know, I mean, yeah. Even even number ten, he's he's ready to come rake the ball for me if I put the ball on the floor. So I know that people are going to collapse. So I know something's got to give because there's two guys on me. So it's all about just being able to have the patience to find whatever the defense has given me in that situation. So you're just reading two on the ball here. Someone has to be open, basically. Yeah, I mean, if there's there's two guys on me, there's one guy that has to be open mathematically. So that's kind of just my thought process on that one. Well, and this kind of goes into starting to get into your post game, right? Because uh, I don't think there's a better post player in the country. I think that that is something that is well established about your game. We're going to go here to the Texas game, which, man, you being from Texas, this one had to feel good, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, you had what, like thirty-eight, something like that, in this game. That was a that was a that was a good one for you. So you're gonna something like that, yeah. Get this mismatch on Brock Cunningham. Did you play Brock at all, like in AAU and stuff like that? Yeah, I played him a couple of times. He's a good buddy <laughs> of mine. So uh, yeah, so, it was fun playing against him. Yeah, you, you probably had a pretty good feel of how he was going to defend you. You know, you do this just like backspin face up move, which is very quick. And I don't know if I've seen it all that often. What kind of, how did you kind of develop that move? Just feel, I, I really just play. Well, honestly, like it's, (laughs) I mean, I just, yeah, I just, Texas kind of invites you to the baseline. You see that man right there at the, under the hoop. He's, they're kind of, they kind of invite you to go down baseline because it's you have a third defender with the baseline. So they kind of want you to go that way. So I was like, if I go down there really quick, then I know he's going to naturally shift his weight that way. So if I come back really quick, then I know he's going to really be off balance. Then that, then that guy in the uh, charge circle, he's going to go back to his man thinking I'm going middle. So then I know that I'm going to have the baseline back. And it's just step through and it's easy and obviously the celebration, right? Which is something that you have become very well known for at this point. What, how important is it to you to bring that kind of energy to your team? It, it feels like more than wanting to like rub the other team's face in it more than anything like that. You're doing it to bring your guys energy as much as anything, right? Oh, it's, it really, it really is not to be a, a dick to like the other team or anything. It really yeah. is just to be that, that fire, that spark plug. I mean, there's times like I would say even like Memphis last year, we were struggling to get energy. It just in the first half, it is what it was. And, you know, just coming out, being fired up and really kind of being just a charger for the battery, I think is something important. That's what I think that's one of the most important things I can do for my team is making sure that we're always pumped up and fired up. And I think getting the crowd involved, getting my teammates hype, you know, just 
getting everyone intent just makes us play even better. So I feel like that's an important part to the game as well. When did you start doing this? I've always done that. I'm have you? It's kind of just uh, a joy from basketball. Just makes me so happy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course, it makes me so happy, and I just like just like to show appreciation, I guess, and just celebrate the good, you know, and just have. I just have so much fun with it. I'm just it's just a, it's a game, and yeah. just having fun with it. And I think the joy and just the happiness it's it's an, it's an, contagious, and it makes other people happy and energetic, like. You see Andrew getting excited too. Like, there's just it just gets everyone going, and that's what makes me the most happy is when we're all having fun like that and stuff, and that really just makes the game a lot better for me and everyone else. I think. So let, let's go to this next one here. This is just going to be a post against Jalen Williams, top thirty-five pick last year. Very good post defender, mm-hmm. one of the best charge takers in the country, if not the best charge taker in the country last year. So he's a complicated. Uh, guy for you to be up against I would say yeah Uh, so what are you reading here just in terms of his weight because I feel like nobody times those spins better than you nobody times those like little step throughs better than you how are you kind of I'm sure it's all natural but on some level like how are you reading like where his weight is going on post moves like this well first I'm like please don't pick up a cheap foul right here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh i think i think Jalen williams took like 45 charges last year so it would not be uh would not be the first if you did it. yeah but i knew once that moment i he kind of gave me that space i kind of felt like he was about to set up for me to lower my shoulder into him to really hit him right there because as you can see i'm low-key about i'm about to like hit him you know yeah. to get to my hook and he he backed up i'm like oh god he's about to take a charge so i was like just spun really quick because I knew his weight was going to, he was going to be off balance for that. So it just, thank God that dude in the corner did not come harder. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of just, I just kind of just felt like he was about to take a charge. I was like, crap, I'm off balance. I just got to a quick spin move real quick and it just happened to work out. The funniest thing here is you saying you're off balance, like you being off balance ends up in this like balletic spin move that just looks unbelievable, right? Not not, and, not off balance, but a controlled like you know it's, yeah. it's 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 controlled. It's I'm off balance, but I'm in control of it. Like I can change my direction quickly like that because I don't know how I play, but like I'm off my center of balance. I would say. Yeah, 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 but I'm, I'm no. strong enough where I can pivot off my feet and do that stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and this is kind of where the footwork stuff comes in, right? Because you know this is something your dad taught you. But like, you know, I feel like the thing about your dad playing at SMU is well established at this point. But like, your mom played tennis mm-hmm. uh, at Stephen F. Austin, right? Like, I feel like you kind of post as someone that has just the picture perfect footwork of someone whose mom played tennis while also having like (laughs) that strength and like physicality of someone who grew up like playing for a dad who was a big man in college right yeah no and I think that's the that is the cool thing is that I played every sport growing up as a kid I think like playing Mm. stuff like tennis even joking around and like soccer like I think all those things just helped me with just my balance and footwork just because it's different types of movements with those sports. And I think kind of just kind of combine, combining those and put my own flair on it is kind of just how like naturally my footwork kind of just came all into one. Yeah. 
So this next one here, I just kind of want to talk about dealing with doubles, right? Because this is something that you get pretty regularly. So here you get this SWAT down on the dig from, I'm not sure who that is off the top of my head. Um, you kind of just wait, wait it out. You spin baseline. And then as you mentioned earlier, Texas, they invite that spin baseline. Mm-hmm. So here you just get real skinny and just finish right through. I feel like you have a better uh, understanding of how to get clean looks at the basket than anyone else. Whenever you're completely surrounded by like three other opponents. Uh, so <laughs> what is the read here? Uh, I mean, I was feeling it. I was like, I should have, <laughs> I really was like, I'll shoot like a little post fade right there. I was just, I was on fire, you know, just sometimes you're in that yeah. zone and I kind of pump fade and they both lifted right away. And I was like, Oh, I'll just kind of go through the little tunnel real quick. <laughs> but yeah, they kind of just, they both raced up and he was out of control running at me. So I was like, well, even if I go into him, I'll draw a foul anyway. And it kind of just the red sea parted. I saw a little gap and I was able to kind of just squeeze through right there. One of the things you do really well is you stay calm in the face of double teams. Like th- there's just never really a, there's, there's a patience. There's never any rush with you dealing with doubles. Uh, how, how do you kind of maintain that cool while guys are rushing at you trying to stop you? I I like double teams. I would say just because it means someone else is open and they gets an easy shot from my <laughs> teammate. Hopefully like, I mean, I think that's 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 good for our offense. It's good for getting other people buckets and stuff. And I think it's a good way that for me just to create out of it. Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, sometimes like they do it. Like double teams are hard. They're not easy by any means. But like, I think sometimes it just it's easier to create out of a double team as well if if you can handle it properly. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to talk about on offense with you is just. Again, one of my favorite things that you so consistently do is you are better at this than anyone in college basketball at creating pathways for your guards as drivers in order for them to get clean looks. This is not about getting something on the stat sheet for you. This is not about you know any little notice that you're going to get. This is just you pinning this man from Pepperdine way up high and stopping him from even being anything resembling an impediment from an- for Andrew at the basket. W- what are you reading here? Let- let's start uh, with that. I mean, I just see him coming. I'm like, all right, I'm going to try and make a lane. And <laughs> <laughs> really, I mean, that's kind of just something that we always try to do within our offense, I would say, is just duck in and occupy, occupy the other team's big. And Andrew's smart. I mean, he saw it too, right, when you – kind of looking right when I saw him beat his man, I knew I was like, I just need to create a lane for him because he's already got a full head of steam. And yeah, obviously he's such a smart player. He knew right away, like what was going on. And it's just, yeah, it was perfect. I mean, maybe I should get a hockey assist for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's it's like you're a fullback. fullback That's the thing. Yeah, no, but it's, it's just a, a way to get easy basket. And there's nothing, there's nothing more I love than easy baskets. I mean, like that's as easy as they come. And that's, if we get a million of those, I'd love that. (laughs) 
Yeah, and look, like with you guys, with you out on the court last year, Gonzaga had a 127 uh, offensive rating. So you guys were 127 points per 100 possessions. Um, it's just it, an absolute monster offense. And, and it's little stuff like this. Like I said, that it's not going to show up in the stat sheet. You're just going to duck in. You're going to pin this guy high. You're going to make it so that your teammates have easier uh, avenues. Like I think that is an incredibly important thing as you translate to the NBA because you know, you're not someone that's going to have the ball in your hands as much as you do now. Once you get to the NBA, it's these little things like this that create pathways for, you know, thinking of like the Pacific Northwest, someone like Damian Lillard, right? Uh, driving in. These are the things that are going to endear you to the superstar on the team as you become the young 22 year old, 23 year old entering the league. So I think this stuff is so, so important and you are among the best at it. It's almost like a, the, the guy that like stayed in the league that I always think about that used to do stuff like this is Nick Collison, right? You know, you, I don't know, you might be too young to have grown up watching I know, him. In the Big I know 12, all about right? Nick Collison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just someone like that, that I think does all the little stuff, but you know, Nick was a great defender and I, I think you have potential to be a good defender. I think that you get, maligned on that end do you kind of hear uh that you know people saying that you can't defend a bit regularly oh all the time (laughs) (laughs) all the time and it's something that i do need to get better on and i've been working on a lot and um i'm excited i think this show really get to show just all the work i've put into that and uh it'll be good but yeah it's something that even just being engaged on defense all the time i think that's something that i've not been as good at you know sometimes like i'll just score some points i'm I'm good on defense, you know, like seriously. And like, so I think just like taking that next step and just being engaged and really like pushing myself is, is really paying off for me right now. And it's just something I'm looking to continue to grow. Well, and I pulled a couple of clips from the Memphis game where I thought you were actually like quite good defensively. This is a game where Chet got in foul trouble. The refs were not a fan of his last year, many times, unfortunately, (laughs) Um, I I get that he's a difficult a difficult person to officiate, but you know he's pretty good in terms of his mechanics, in terms of his fundamentals, yeah. staying straight up and down. Um, so here you're going to get strung out. They set this like almost stagger kind of screen here, where the whole goal I think is to get you on this guard to create the mismatch, and he tries to drive by you. And just look at this, like you just point him to the baseline. It's super simple, and then he tries to string you out again. And he's going to get the pass back and just look, this is perfect. You just drop your, you hit that drop step. He thinks he has the, um, just the pull up jumper from 18 feet. You can test it. I think that you're underrated in terms of how long you are. Like you had a, what, like seven, two and a half wingspan or something like that at the combine last year. It, it's, it's harder for people to get clean looks against you than what. Uh, I think is often portrayed in these circumstances. What, what, what just kind of take me through this play as we're rolling through? Yeah, well, uh, like I said earlier, when talking about how Texas uses that baseline as a third defender, I, that's also a defend, extra defender for me. I mean, I know he can't. That's a tough shot to get right there if he's going to yeah. come back and th- throw one up. I'm, I'm up. There's a good chance I block it or at least contest it really hard, and then. The hockey, you know, he's going straight to a boom, <laughs> just because he is—he is a really quick guard, and just trying to keep my feet above the three-point line initially, just you know, not to give him an easy dribble walk in three, and then just trying to be as big as possible, like you said, and then also 
just being able to, you know, I think kind of on offense, my footwork's really good, but I think I've just grown confidence in my footwork on defense as well. Like being able to push off and contest. Like I did drop step, but I was able to push off back off that back foot to contest and keep my balance. So I think just continuing to grow my confidence in my defense because it it's there and it's something that I'm not awful at, I would say. Like obviously I need work yeah. on it, but I think I've I've gotten way better at it and just I'm more focused and more eager and more excited about it as well. I think that's it's a, one of the biggest growths in my game right now and it's something that I think will can be a can be a, a solid weapon for me as well. Yeah, and like uh, I'm glad that you just brought up the focus cuz like I said, like NCAA tournament games, you're obviously going to be locked in every possession like you were good in this game defensively against Memphis, mm-hmm. I thought. Like this is not a this is not something you can't do. I don't think it's just, you know, your offensive role is what it is and your engagement sometimes can go, right? Um and then this one is against you're facing off against Imani Bates here which is a weird guard for you probably not someone uh in terms of style that you had to match up with uh on a possession by possession basis but you know they're going to come down set a ball screen with Malcolm Dandridge Chet is in a drop here and number three who I don't know who he is on Memphis off the top of my head he's going to come in and set like almost a little hammer screen right for to try and get Imani loose. They're trying to get Imani going to see if he has it in this game. And you fight through this screen. Like, again, if you're going to play the four at the next level at all, if you're going to play the four this year, this is the stuff you have to do because teams can run guys off of actions like this when you're playing the four. And you do a great job. So kind of take me through this play here. Well, I mean, it's pretty bad defense. I would say I just ended up making a good recovery. I mean, he, I let, he, he got a, quite a nice head start, but, yeah. yeah, just fighting through that screen and stuff and just that just getting out there quickly, I think that's important and something that – something that's good, obviously, getting through the screen, but I think just changing that first part right there where I'm kind of just walking with them, you know, yeah. that's something I've been trying to work on is I'm on at all times. And I think – I was like, oh, play's probably not coming to me. And I was like, oh, shit, it's coming. <laughs> So just that yeah. continual like being locked in and always ready to go, I think is is part of the growth I'm trying to make because yeah, he probably shouldn't even get, really get the shot up if I'm if I'm really on him the whole time. Yeah, but like you know what, like I think you're probably being a little hard on yourself. Like this this is a tough guard for you, right? Like this is this is a guy who grew up playing on the ball all the time. He's excellent at coming off of screens. I think he actually did like a pretty okay. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he didn't come off the screen all that well, but like he, yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is that bad. You're right. Like your early engagement probably could be better, but the way you fought through the screen, I thought was pretty excellent mm-hmm. to be honest. And then the late contest is terrific. That's my last clip. That's my last clip, Drew. Uh, let's see here. Let's remove this. I mean, what are what are your goals for this year? Like, what is the thing that you know you just want to you really want to accomplish at the end of the day? Just want to keep winning. I mean, <laughs> kind of like how we talked about earlier with the awards. Like, I let my parents just have that. You know, like yeah. I don't really pay much. I really could care. Oh, great stuff. Like, don't want to act like I'm not grateful or anything for that. But like, right. I really, I really just care about winning and whatever it takes. So, I mean, that stuff's great. But as long as we're winning, I feel like that's the best version of me. I feel like one of the things, one of the strongest things that I bring to a team is, is we win. 
just making winning plays and doing whatever it takes to win. I think that's something that might be undervalued that that I bring to the table. And I think that's something that I just want to continue to show because at the end of the day, it's the results that matter. I think, I think throughout my career, I've I've shown that we just, we just get results and, you know, whether it's me like flying through that screen or just scoring or whatever, I, we find ways to win. And I feel like been a part of that. And I feel like that's one of the key things. So just continue to do that. Obviously continuing to work on my defense just and just my engagement, like I said, the whole time, like you call being hard on myself, but like, I probably wouldn't have pointed that out to you last year. Probably wouldn't even, mm. you know, that's kind of something I'm trying to nitpick myself and hold myself more accountable for is being more engaged. Cause I think that's a habit I have to force myself to really continue to do. I don't want to regress in that area. <laughs> so just kind of just the little things now, personally, I'm saying I'm trying to work on just looking to be a little more aggressive offensively. I think I'm a little passive at times when I should be more aggressive than also just being engaged all the time on defense and really way more focused. I just think continual focus, even when, you know, when we're playing lesser games or something like that, just always bringing that fire. Well, and this is the year where, you know, not to say you weren't a leader previously, but this is the year where it's really going to, crop up right because you know you have a lot of young guards this year you don't have andrew who's you know seasoned collegiate vet like you had the last two years um you know you have guys like nolan hunter you know malachi who's coming from chattanooga uh you have younger guys coming in and you know it's it's going to be big for you to kind of lead by example in that way i would assume right yeah but i mean but those guys those guys, obviously, they've been in the program or they've been in programs where they've succeeded. So that's yeah. kind of the nice part is I feel like I can just – I'm the same leader I was last year. I feel like <laughs> we just uh, – really, we just, like, have such a nice, like, chemistry and flow. And people kind of know the standard of what it takes here and just kind of how what you have to do to live up to that Zag standard. And I think that's the nice part is I can – I'm just being me, just being me as a leader. And I think it's been working out so well, so far, so well. And – uh Hopefully it continues to go well. <laughs> Drew, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time this morning. <clears throat> this has been the Game 3 Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week with more. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.